Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's Game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns, in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side. Found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're very welcome. And uh, we're not alone this week. It's we we've got it. The the gang is back together. As <laughs> I don't know what I, right? the world's the world's saddest <laughs> gang is back together. The world's well, let's saddest say let's say this gang. the world the world's least intimidating gang. Is back yeah. together. Yeah. Well, I would say we're de- and and sad. We're sort of the saddest gang. Brandon McCarthy's with us. Brandon, welcome. Hi, gentlemen. How are you guys? We're we're we are not intimidating. That is that is how we feel right That's now. That's right. That's how I always feel. That's my default setting. Is I'm <laughs> I'm unintimidating. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you feel? Look, Brandon has Brandon. You know, Brandon's very. You know, he's he's eight foot three so brandon could be intimidating uh how would you brandon, feel mike i would you... brandon is an intimidating guy he's brandon is is uh what are you really you're six seven six six no um, six yes ten, right? yeah six seven six eight six seven okay you're six seven now you do weigh 110 pounds <laughs> so that de- that decreases the intimidation, it does factor, decrease the intimidation factor but Plus, you're a professional athlete that's pretty intimidating yeah, he could I mean, throw a ball and hurt you. Yeah, like you, like if you scrap with Brandon, he has a thing he can do <laughs> to cause you harm, which is just throw a baseball at your head really fast with really relative fast. accuracy. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's no question of the three of us, you're the most intimidating. Oh, yeah, that, that's not even a contest. But I would say that Brandon has a studious look about him that makes him look not as intimidating as your typical six foot eight guy. Brandon, would you agree with that or no? I don't know. I've actually been wondering this lately. Like nobody asks me for anything ever. I've never, like, I know athletes that just get hit up for tickets constantly and do this and do that. And I've never, I went through my whole career. Nobody ever asked me for a thing. I I meet financial managers now, people who are notorious, like they pitch, they want your business. I've never been asked like, Hey, can I do like nothing? So I think I, I might have like that. When people call it resting bitch face, I have that face. I think, um, I think I'm intimidating or people just don't want to speak to me. So I don't know what it is exactly, but well, those, could, those could be two very different things, right? I mean, like you, you might not be intimidating, but people just don't want to talk to you like that. That's that could be also true. Thing. Yeah. 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 That's a set. That could be a separate thing. You might just be off putting instead of intimidating. <laughs> yes. You just, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's you would rather be intimidating than off putting though. Wouldn't you? 
I don't know. I think I'd yeah, rather. Yeah, I be, don't know. Like, I. I think I'd rather be off-putting. I'd rather be Would like. You? I, just, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, <laughs> because because if you're intimidating people, there are people who are looking to scrap all the time, right. and they That's might true. be like, That's true. "That guy's not going to intimidate me. I'm going to go after that guy." Right. And then I would just cower in fear. But if you're off-putting. <laughs> That just means people are like, they don't want anything to do with you. I'd rather people not have anything to do with me than see me as a threat of any kind. So, wait, wait. I, I just want to get this clarified. So you're at a bar. Yeah. And you're just, you're just, you're minding your own business. Right. And if you're intimidating, such as Brandon, like there's, there is the possibility that somebody might decide, hey, this is, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of liquid courage in me. This is the time I'm going to go after. Yeah. I'm going to go scrap with this guy. Yeah. And I don't want that. But if you're off-putting, they're going to look at you and go, Ugh, no, I, yes. I don't, you know. I, so of, of 100%, I would rather that, that they just look at me and go like, yeah. oh, I don't I don't like that you've, you've, you've solved it then, so I'm off-putting and not intimidating. Because <laughs> nobody's ever tried to fight me. Like, that's never been an issue. But that person at the bar has also never approached me. So I think that's really it. It's just, I'm No, yeah, wait I'm a minute. Now, wait a minute. Now, Brandon, you would say that people never, like kids – and such never hesitated to come up to you and ask you for an autograph. Would you would you say that is true? What well, I, I think they hesitated. So, they, I, I so you know. would say they were more likely to go up to some like one of your teammates than they were you to ask for an autograph. Oh, you're going to Cliff Pennington for sure before you're coming to me. Like that's <laughs> one. I think size. Like I, I think I'm scary right. to children because it's I'm very big. But yeah, I don't. I, there's I think there's something to my face that's not not working for me in that regard. Okay, so here's this is this is an interesting question here. So, uh, you may remember I had the opportunity to call a White Sox game with a with friend of the podcast, uh, uh, Jason Benetti, uh, last year, whatever, whatever it was. Yes. And so I took my uh, my jerk son, who was uh, 11 years old at the time, <laughs> and we were walking around. He gave us a whole tour of the of the uh, clubhouse and everything, and I met a bunch of players. Um, my son loves uh, Tim Anderson, as do I. Met Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson gave him his batting gloves from batting so practice, amazing. which ruled. And yeah. then, so we're walking out the clubhouse. He's like, let's go look, walk to the field. So Jason's leading us through the field, and Jose Abreu shows up. Now, if you want to talk about the, the platonic ideal of the concept of intimidating, it's Jose Abreu is... He's six. I don't know. He, in my in my he's, mind's eye, he's seven eight, but he's probably what like six five. He's like two. He's huge. He's a he's a solid two sixty five. <laughs> uh, he's like a LeBron sized guy. Right. And but the most like delightful, like welcoming, funny guy. Like stopped stopped us. Like Jason introduced him to my jerk son. They had a conversation. They, it was like he was so like warm and lovely. And so that was like a, that's like a, where, where, where do you put that on this scale? Cause he was definitely Ooh. intimidating, but also he was like a sort of gentle giant type. So that's different from both of these versions we're talking about. He's neither off-putting nor purely intimidating. He's more like, he's more like, um, I don't know, like you felt he was intimidating, but you felt safe with him. He was like There's, the BFG he, or he, something. He had, he's, he was intimidating, but he had the teddy bear quality. Yeah, it's the yeah. it's the Jim Tomey quality. Yes. Yes, there yes. you go. Okay. All right, look, Jim Tomey, that is a great example. Jim Tomey is gigantic. He's bigger he's bigger than Jose Abreu. He's huge. He's six, yes. He's 66 at least and huge and muscle-bound and he's not a, look, he could you wouldn't fight him. I mean, he's intimidating in that way. 
he's the least intimidating guy in the way. He's just a big lug. You just go up to him and the guy's good. He's, he's, I mean, the, the thing that you would be scared with Jim Tomey is that he would hug you too hard. Like that would be like, <laughs> like he would, he would crush you in his, in his, in his outward love of human right. beings, you know? Um, so yeah, so I guess there's that. Brandon obviously does not have that teddy bear. He has zero percent teddy bear. That's what no, yeah, that's where I, I don't think I have enough girth for that. Like I think I'm too. I think there's an off-putting thing right in the middle of like out. Like you have to be bigger. Maybe like you feel like you could hug this person as opposed to me, where I feel like it'd just be sharp edges and bones everywhere. <laughs> and so I think that takes away some of the likability. There you go. There you're you like go. A, you're this like is... a teddy bear. You're a teddy bear who had all the stuffing removed. So you're... yeah. You're, you're you're the build a bear before they put the stuffing in. You're just, the, you're just, you're just <laughs> and you're the filled with sack of no personality. You're a sack with well, personality. You're, you're the personality. sack. There's the stuffing is hasn't been put in yet, but in its place are like jagged shards of glass and and uh, and like uh, uh, and and rocks and stuff. So like because yeah. I think you're right. The image you get is if I hug you, I might you might slice my arm open or something. <laughs> Also, All right, so no here, one wants to hug. Like, I hate hugging in general. So, like, it, nobody my height is ever meant to hug anybody because <laughs> everybody pretty much comes, everything exists sort of right near genital level in my world. So, there's no hugs for me are just not good things. Yeah. Somehow, though, Jim Tomey survives the, the hugging thing. I mean, like, you know, and, and Poppy, Big Poppy, huge yeah. man, but he'll. The guy we've 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 talked on this podcast about who who we think are the best huggers out there yeah. in, in in sports and uh, you know but I think now that I'm looking at it I think it is it's not about intimidation it is what percent teddy bear you are that's yeah. really what it comes down to everybody yeah. like Mookie Betts 100 percent teddy bear yeah like he is the, he has the highest teddy bear quotient of any player in the history of certainly of, of he sports. certainly he has the highest teddy bear quotient of any short and yes. not not big guy like he's he's five nine or five right pound for pound i think and we're talking pound for pound for pound yeah. he's the most pure pure teddy bear in the game so right. here's the question brandon only one of the three of us has ever actually been a professional athlete i'm not sure if people out there know that but brandon is the only one of the three of us <laughs> yeah we should we should make that clear we should clarify we should... <laughs> so in your playing career who is who is let's let's give it give us a couple examples of most intimidating least intimidating most teddy bear least teddy bear yes very good of the people you played with or knew in general and this isn't by the way we're not asking you to insult anyone no. just like the, the the essential the inherent qualities of the people you played with who are the most intimidating or or the most teddy bearish or yes. least of each category? I think most teddy bearish, Jim Tomey. I mean, like, yeah. just having played, like, it, it, he really is truly that human teddy bear. Like, yeah, I, if you hit him, he would apologize to your hand. He just is very, <laughs> very offensively nice. He is. He is all teddy bear all the time. He, he also just, had those, he, he had those ears that, like, stuck out in this delightful oh, way. Like, so like delightful. A, just a happy, happy-go-lucky-looking guy. Uh, pure, pure joy, that guy. From the outside, I'll tell you what I, I do want to tell you. So I when when uh, I brought a friend with me to the Hall of Fame the weekend that uh, that uh, Tommy was elected, it was it was the same weekend that they were actually um, uh, unveiling the movie that that I wrote for the Hall of Fame. So so I I brought uh, a friend of mine with me, and we were walking through the Hall of Fame, and and uh, like from a distance, I hear. Somebody shout out, Joe, Joe. And I turn around 
and it was Jim Tomey. And and right there, number one, athletes do not call your name when they see you. Like that's especially great athletes like Jim Tomey. So that was something. And I introduced Jim Tomey to uh, my friend and uh, Jim Tomey like immediately like went in for the hug, like immediately, like, and like, I would consider myself, you know, Jim Tomey and I have a, have a great relationship. I would consider him uh, a, you know, a friend in, in sort of that uh, more distant way. Uh, but immediately he was like, any friend of Joe is a friend of mine kind of thing, which is such a teddy bear thing. I mean, that's just, uh, he, he is, Brandon's a hundred percent right. Jim Tomey, number one uh, on the teddy bear list. All right, so who's the most intimidating guy you ever played with? Yeah, least teddy bear. The least teddy bear is Vicente Padilla. Um, <laughs> he's whatever the opposite of wanting to go in for a hug is. He's that where you kind of want to get on a flight and leave the vicinity that in which he is. Like that's um, that's Padilla. I, there's infinite stories, but there's no question he was an assassin in this life, a past life, or, or still is. I don't know. Like, Interesting. He was a very, very, very different, scary person. Interesting. I do. I mean, of course, I never would. I, I was about to say I never would have guessed, but like, how could I have guessed that Vicente Padilla was that guy? <laughs> That's wild. Uh, just, uh, just the his energy just was very uh, was like assassin. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I guess you had to meet him to know, but I you saw it with his head hunting. He would constantly hit people. He didn't like Asian people, so he would hit them every time he faced them. If it was Kurt Suzuki, Ichiro. That turned that got us into a lot of fights. Um, sure, he was he was so different in so many ways. He actually one day um, we come in the, and this is everybody is genuinely scared of him and, and had no idea what what he was capable. of. He comes into the locker room one day and he has like a three pound teacup Maltese with him and just lets it <laughs> run around the clubhouse the whole day. And it was one of the most confounding things. It was like, is this really his dog? Is this? We all thought maybe it was a meal for later. We could not figure out what he was doing with his dog, and it only showed up for one day. Oh no! You never saw it again. Never saw it again. Oh no! Oh, that's uh, that bodes so poorly for that that dog's fate. (laughs) That that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. I I uh, I would have thought you know who you know who had that reputation as like the like the least teddy bear. Kyle Farnsworth, right? Didn't Kyle Farnsworth yeah. have like like everybody thought that guy was like uh, was was uh, dangerous at all times? Yes, I never met him, but I always got the impression from a distance that he's one of those guys that you know he can kill you, but like <laughs> he knows it, so it's like everybody just their guard so it's goes okay. down around him. Yeah, like no, just everybody's on the same me. page. Just, yeah, yeah <laughs> don't cross me, all pile drive you into Earth's crust, but it's all good before that, I guess. I'm gonna say I'm as like, a ge- I'm gonna say as a general rule. That uh, if you go position by position, I would say like relief pitcher might be the least yeah. teddy bearish position because I, I can like every yes. relief pitcher I'm thinking about right now. Like I just for some reason was thinking about Jeff Nelson. That guy was not a teddy bear at <laughs> not all. Not a teddy bear. Like, not a teddy bear. No. Ju- but but a very, uh, there very are nice guy though. Is that true? Interesting. Yeah, I actually I really enjoyed it. Like certainly not a teddy bear like personality, but was a very very nice guy. Much nicer than he seemed. I will say that Kenley Jansen is a little teddy bearish. In a very in like teddy bear, a, he's he's yeah. a great answer for this. Yes. Yeah. What about what yeah. about Fernando Rodney? Is Fernando Rodney a teddy bear? I don't I don't know personality wise. Like I picture him as that, and I think that's how most people picture him. But I don't know if that's reality. And I think I've heard he's just a very very genuinely nice person. So I think he, Every, I think he goes in there. 
I've I've heard him that he is that he's delightful. I sp- speaking of teddy bears and non-teddy bears, I think all of us would agree, and and it was well known throughout baseball that Jason Grimsley was was not a teddy bear. Uh, <laughs> that he was he was whatever the opposite of teddy bear is, and yet and yet I, I this needs to be said. Uh, I think in 2003, pretty sure in 2002 or 2003, uh, I brought my family to spring training. He was on the Royals and I brought my family to spring training. And my daughter at that point was, well, one or two. I mean, she was, she was, you know, just, just still a little, little baby. And uh, we, you know, my wife took uh, her and they were playing like in the dirt and, you know, near, near one of the fields. And I walk, look over and there's a player like, in the dirt with her, like playing with her, and it was Jason Grimsley. It was wow. it was one of the weird. It was I mean, and like not for just like a second, like literally for like ten minutes, like just like kind of like you know digging in the dirt and laughing with her, and then you know kind of she's giggling, and and I thought this is so weird. This is weirder than the teacup dog in some ways. <laughs> no, uh, nothing's weirder than that. That. <laughs> Vicente Padilla having a teacup Maltese for one day only is the weirdest thing I've the ever one, heard. It's the one day only thing that really makes that incredibly strange and, and frightening. I bet you anything. Randy Johnson in the anti-category. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because he's taller than you and skinnier than you and, and angrier bonier, than like you. He yeah. has all that plus his actual personality and what we know of it. I think he fits perfectly in the anti. Yeah, <laughs> good call. All right, so before we go on to the most important issues of the day, which, of course, are the Cleveland Browns, um, we have always, we always bring this up, the, the trout versus, uh, bats. It's not fair to, to compare anybody to Mookie Betts as a teddy bear, but Mike Trout's got a little teddy bear in him, doesn't he? Yeah. Like a teddy bear that just tells you the current weather, I guess. Like it's like... <laughs> but that would be an awesome bear. You just pull the string and it's like partly cloudy today. It's a, um. it's it's a relative humidity teddy bear. It's a, it's a it's a I think you can buy it in the sharper image catalog. It's just a teddy bear that sits silently emotionally and you just if you if you push its head down it just says like today's relative humidity is 42% and that's it. That's all you get. That's all you get. And it's a uh, nice teddy bear. It's a good one. Mookie Mookie the teddy bear asks you how you're feeling. Oh yeah. And yeah. checks in on you. Mike just you enjoying the weather we're having? <laughs> And then he's like, you look a little down. Let's go for a walk. And he like leads you around and just tries to get your endorphins up. You, 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 you get home one day, rough day. Mookie the teddy bear has got like an ice cream waiting for you. He's just, yeah, he's like, well, you know, I just did this. He, ca- he calls, you get home from work and he calls you and you, you pick up the phone and you're like, hello. And he's like, hey, it's, it's Mookie the teddy bear. How's it going? And you're like, it's fine. It was kind of a rough day where, and he just goes, I'm coming over. And you're like, no, 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 you don't have to. And he's like, no, 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 I'm coming, I'm just coming over. And he shows up at your house and he's got like fresh baked brownies. Right. And he's like, you and I are going to sit down and we're going to watch uh, fried green tomatoes and we're just going to relax. <laughs> And have a great time. And by the time he leaves, you're in the best mood of your life. Yes, yes. And then Mookie the teddy bear just goes on, and then and that's it. Yeah, yeah I think he, that's right. I think that's he's, right. He's uh he's the best living person, Mookie. Does. <laughs> he just got married. He just got married. We should say he, congratulations to Mookie. Yes. Uh, or en- engaged or married? I can't remember now. I think it's um, engaged. I don't. Yeah, I think. I don't know. But I think yeah, so delightful. too. But I just want. I want. Uh, I've never met the man. Uh, he doesn't even play for my favorite team anymore, and yet I I spend a good deal of my time being uh, concerned about whether or not he's happy enough. <laughs> like I I just want to know that he's happy and 
and and living his best life. And it seems like he is. He's a very wealthy man. He loves what he does. He won a World Series. He's an MVP. But I, I, I still am worried that, like, there isn't enough. He deserves so much happiness that yes. I, uh, I think all the time about, like, man, I hope that enough happiness is, is coming into his but life. I think we all that's... feel that way. I think yeah. we all see the news and we all go, how is this affecting Mookie? That's mostly Mookie? what I think. Most of right. the news I read about anything that's going on in the world, I'm like, I hope this... I hope Mookie isn't too upset about this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's right. I, I just feel like that's that's how it should be. By the way, uh, shouldn't your favorite team be Mookie Bats? Like, why why is your favorite team anything but Mookie Bats? Well, okay, maybe this is a transition into into other topics here. Uh, so uh, you know, I've had a pretty rough run of it in in, in certain areas of my personal life uh, in terms of my sports rooting interests. Um, yes. Yeah, the the uh, it's been a, a twenty year uphill battle to continue <laughs> to root for the New England Patriots, and and I really stopped a, a couple years ago. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't been an active fan of the team in a while. There are other recent events in which we don't have to go into, uh, that, that put yet another nail in that coffin. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Red Sox, the, the difficulty of rooting for the Red Sox is a fairly new phenomenon, like it, because it really started, um, it, you know, the 2018 season was, uh, was obviously magical, but then the, uh, it, a bunch of stuff has happened, including trading Mookie Betts, including, the sort of dissolution of the team, the the destruction of the farm system, yeah. and then, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff. And so there is like a, I find, if I'm the, one of the New York Times needles of like, which way which way am I going? <laughs> Who's going to win this battle, the Red Sox or the Dodgers? Like right. the needle is, the needle is fluctuating right now. Wow. And it's, and it's heading back towards the Dodgers. I mean, it's, it's been, this has been, you know, I've, I've lived in LA since 2004, so it's not, surprising that I would be drawn more toward the Dodgers every year and Mookie joining them sort of, you know, went over the top, but I, it's never going to go all the way. It's always going to be 51 49 uh, Red Sox. Like there's no way to, to drive the Red Sox out of my blood, but it's, it's as close to being to pointing toward the Dodgers as it's ever been to pointing to any other team, I would say right now. So you Mike, is, Mike, is this, or Joe, is this mind blowing to you to hear him say this? Um, no, no, I, I've seen this. I've seen this coming. I've seen this building. You have I really. I didn't. I didn't really appreciate the New York Times needle. Like, I mean, you're <laughs> saying it's tilting Red Sox now. I'm saying it, it used. Needle. It used to be like. It used to be. It this used to be, used to be a Red Sox plus fifty five district. Right, right. That, that we're so it, used to be, <laughs> it used to be. It used to just say like you know Red Sox win. It didn't even. It didn't. Other even teams like a, didn't run candidates. The 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 Red Sox ran unopposed <laughs> for for the first thirty eight years of my life. But and right, and now right. we're still we're still this is a still a solidly Red Sox district. Like it, okay, now it it's, is. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's re- likely it's likely Red Sox. It's, it's not red. It's red now Sox. we're like Red Sox plus six and a half or seven or something. Oh, okay, well that um, would that would be more like what what is the next level of pretty much Red Sox or something. I think it's like, I think it's like very likely Red Sox is what the needle very would say likely. Yes, or something. Very likely, okay. right? Um, okay. But but like but the trend is is you know is going away from. The, uh, the Red Sox toward the Dodgers, I would say. And this is so con- like two years ago, you guys had one of the best teams we'd ever seen. That's if right. If they were up thirty to one in the first inning, you would still have this Red Sox born <laughs> sense of existential dread that this is That's all right. going to go away. Yeah, the correct. team's going to get contracted by the end of this game. And somehow, within two years, you're now 
leaning slightly to the Red Sox. Maybe that, no, it's still very likely. Yeah, it doesn't no, wash let, with me. Let, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, the the the, the again, it will that no no candidate from another uh, political party will ever actually defeat the Red Sox in a, okay. in one of these. So it, it's they they will forever be my favorite team. And you are right that no matter what, I will still have that feeling of like it doesn't matter that they've won four world series and that like all of that stuff has been just absolutely uh buried in the annals of history i will still always feel that dread because it's just too it's too interwoven into my dna as a sports fan uh so like all of those things the aspects of red sox fandom will never leave me all of them for good and bad but the the joy of watching the game over the last two years. I mean, also remember that the Red Sox were also caught up in a cheating scandal. Now, w- you know what they did doesn't seem to have been as bad as what the Astros did uh, right. by any stretch. But that was in another little paper cut that that uh, Red Sox fans had to deal with. So, like, it's just the 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 trend over the last two years since that magical day when I actually in Dodger Stadium saw them saw them beat their third 100-win team of that playoffs <laughs> incredibly easily. Uh, since that moment, pretty much everything that's happened has been bad. Like, it, you know, it's a cheating scandal. It's selling Mookie bets. It's uh, it putting a terrible team on the field, making terrible decisions. It started that offseason with making very bad roster decisions, and it just continued right. until the present day. So it's just like the, the trend is negative. It doesn't mean that it's ever going to uh, completely uh, overwhelm me to the point where I, I I would I would never say I root for another team more than the Red Sox. That'll never happen. See, I see the, that this like last few years as being a good thing for fandom. I, I don't know if I see that wrong. Like you should have like the downs because you're the best team. If you just do that again the next year and you do it again the next, like you're just Alabama football. You're rooting for the same thing. There's no real change in emotions. You're just pretending to kind of get happier and happier as opposed to like if you go down, like if the Browns win the the Super Bowl this year, Joe will just explode into a puddle of. Like and yes. yours with the Red Sox, like you have to have those downs, and then all of a sudden the ups, even if it's only three, four years later, are better again. I think. I don't, I don't disagree. I I don't disagree at all. I don't mind the down. In the past, I haven't minded the downs. It's the it's the 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 particular way that the down has occurred was yeah. you they want gave some honesty in your downs. Y- yeah, they gave very Dom Dave Dombrowski gave very bad contracts to the wrong guys in the aftermath of that. Uh, it was it was dumb dumb roster moves which then led to the team having to trade their best player in in history maybe and certainly of the last 50 years so like it's it it's like a it feels like mismanagement it doesn't feel like okay yeah we got beat and guys got older and they and they retired or whatever like that that part of it I'm fine with it's just the way that it's all gone down has been kind of unpleasant and so the I don't mind the downs I I you know the one of the worst years that the team had in this run before now was the year before um, it was, I think Mookie's rookie year. I think it was that they, where the game ended on a, on a, a complete game shutout where he robbed a home run over the right, right. field fence. Uh, uh, that, that year was, they were terrible, but I didn't mind it. I liked watching the team. It was like, they have these young guys who were like coming up through the system that you can get excited about. That part of it is fine. It's this, this way is way worse. I think. You know, I'll tell you what I think this means, Brandon. It what it means is that Mike, after all these years, has finally forgiven you and I for the uh, Red Sox Yankees practical joke that we played on him uh, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. Mike, I, right? Like I that's will, gone, right? Just to be clear, I will never forgive you. It was the, <laughs> the single meanest thing that anyone 
has ever done to me in any arena, and I'm not kidding. I still, wow. I still, uh, like, I'm in the in, in the quick of my skin when just with you just bringing that up. Like, I want to put my fist through a wall. <laughs> we should those, explain what you're talking about. Yeah, right? for those that won't that can't remember, this was during the Red Sox Yankees playoff game, right? And uh, Mike was in a meeting, so he could not watch the game. Uh, which which left it basically for him to check the phone uh, for whenever Brandon and I uh, would send him texts um, to uh, to sort of keep him update. And I believe it was Brandon who started it off with "Oh my God!" Is that right? I, well, I can't yeah, the, it, I don't remember the details now because I've blocked it out of my memory. But the Red Sox <laughs> were up huge. They they were up big. Up, they were up they, like seven runs. Yeah, seven or ten or something. <laughs> yeah, it was and, a huge amount. And I was, and Brandon laughs at me as he did earlier in this podcast by, uh, b- by because I'm so full of uh, doom, um, especially when it comes to the Yankees. And so he decided, you guys decided tacitly or explicitly to basically tacitly. start, and you did it so well. It was so <laughs> expertly done. He just started texting like, "Wow," or like, "Oh my god," no, I th- or whatever. I think Brandon said, "Oh my god." And then, and, and then I was, I and said, I were, and I was like, "What, what, what?" And he yeah, was just, and then I said, "That is unbelievable," or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 then Brandon, like, Brandon, do you remember? Like, you texted something like, "I, I." I don't know if they can come back from this or something like I, well, I don't remember specifically how you went after him. We'd have to go look it up again. And I wish I had taken <laughs> screenshots of it. This might be worth like digging to find just like, so because I have the memory of a fruit fly. Like I need to remember exactly how this went, but it was something like, I do remember there was like a subtle brilliance and just like letting it slowly roll up until he was fully on the hook. And then it was starting to just kind of reel it in. And I don't, th- I don't think we included too many like baseball details. Like we no. didn't like say like, oh my god, a grand slam or something like that. It was, it was much more subtle than that. But it was, no, it was pretty good. We couldn't have planned it. Like we just basically did it on the fly, and it was definitely instituted by Brandon. And Brandon, you've said this. You were scared I was going to give it away. Yes, yeah, we I had him on the hook. I didn't even know what we had, and I, I still don't even. <laughs> I weirdly, I thought about this the other day. I think just revisiting like a past victory. And I started to think, you know what? I think Mike is like leading us on. I think he knew because I was like, if you're answering texts, of course you have the whole internet there at your hands on that same device. Why wouldn't you also be checking the score or like an MLB app like coming through or something? Like how could you have been that? I think he was too scared to do it. I was too scared. I was too, I, I, I was on that. The, is absolutely the answer. I was, you, once you started that, my brain filled in all of the blanks. Like my brain was like, "Okay, I know what this is. I know exactly what this is. This is a Gary Sanchez three-run homer." And 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 now uh, and then you know I and I just I just my brain did all the work, and I was too scared, and I was thinking like, and I went back into kind of superstition mode where I was like, if I just don't, there's nothing I can do. I can't control this. If I maybe if I just don't look, maybe somehow they'll get out of it. And it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And and I couldn't. I was. It was a situation where I was in a. It was in a meeting, that that I wasn't running, but that I had to kind of be there for. And so I couldn't just get up and walk over to a computer and like look. But even if I could, I don't think I would have because I was too scared. <laughs> and so I was just sort of. I got into this. Just as just as some context here, in two thousand four, in the ALCS, uh, they go down to the Yankees three uh, nothing. As we all know. 
I, um, we were making the very first episodes of The Office. That was season one of The Office was shooting in October of 2004. And I was so, and for the first two games, the the producer of the show, this guy named Kent Zabornak, um, knew that I was a huge Red Sox fan and and figured out a way to get a, a TV with service into the soundstage so that while we were shooting the episodes, I could watch the show without sound. And then they got destroyed. They got blown out in game one. Uh, Schilling, Schilling's ankle was hurt. They got blown out in game two. Game three, they lost 19 to eight. And, I, and after the 19 to eight game, I was like, don't bring this monitor in anymore. Like, I can't, this is awful. I hate this. I don't want to watch this. But I couldn't quite bring myself to just not f- understand what was happening. And so there is a Red Sox message board called Sons of Sam Horn. Sure. And they do game threads. And so, and this is, think about how primitive this is. This is 2004 internet. I logged on to the game thread into uh, of game four and just kept refreshing it. And, and like, <laughs> it, you're not getting a lot of details. You're just getting like, you're getting like, um, you know, woo, or like, thank God, or be, people just posting like, yes, or whatever. And I, my brain had to fill in the blanks of what was happening <laughs> in, order to, in order to understand what was, instead of literally just watching the game or like going to ESPN or whatever. So that, and so then they win game four. That is how I watched games, uh, watched in quotes, games five and six was literally on the game thread of Sons of Sam Horn. And then when it came to game seven, I was like, well, now I have to watch this because I because this is too historic. But for three full games of baseball, by the way, long games, five-hour games, extra inning yeah. games, 12-inning games, 14-inning games, I was literally just refreshing a game thread on a Red Sox message board because I was too scared to actually look at what was happening. So... All this is to say, simply, that bit that you did was you could not have found a, a more willing brain to buy into the, to exactly what you were doing because I'm so used to filling in the blanks of, of baseball games like that. Isn't that yeah, sad? I, this is so sad. As I say this out loud, I'm, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> no, I, I felt pretty early on in the bit that we had you. Uh, on the hook. I really did. I really felt that. And then sure enough, I really did like, ah, this is kind of cruel. This is really, this is really a little bit cruel. Oh, it's so cruel. But Brandon, Brandon, like I could feel Brandon, like, don't you dare ruin this. This is like the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Don't you dare ruin this. <laughs> and, and, and it, and it really did just keep getting big. Cause we really did kind of keep coming up with like, very plausible ways to like, like I think at one point, like the only baseball thing I think we said is uh, I think it was, was bases loaded. I think it was just like, that was it. Like literally yeah. got bases loaded or something. And, and the rest of it was truly just like, Oh man, I, I thought they had this game or something like that. I mean, it was, it was very, very uh, neutral, which, which as it turns out was perfect for your brain. I mean, it oh. just literally could not have hit your brain any worse. So angry at you both. So so all over again. <laughs> my my favorite part of the whole thing. Well, my favorite part was the whole thing. But my favorite part afterward was uh, after we talked about it on the podcast and you yelled at us uh, for a long time. 
uh, I, I got a text from Nick Offerman immediately, like the next day, saying, next time you do that, I want in. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so now he knows if there's like a 25-person thread, he knows all right, this might be. It'll work. By the way, you can literally tell me right now that you're going to do it again, and when you're doing it, I'll believe that it's real. <laughs> it'll there's, still work. It'll still work. <laughs> well, this actually leads right into the Browns, which is what I was going to talk about, because I, uh, the thing I feel with, for you as a Red Sox fan, but, but much different because as a Red Sox fan, you've also won four world series in the last, uh, you know, couple of decades and the Browns have never won anything. Uh, there was a wonderful onion, uh, headline, uh, yesterday that said essentially, um, a Browns fan, uh, nervous that, that, uh, that, uh, team will blow 30, 48, you know, 38, 27 victory over Steelers, you know, like, like, <laughs> like we're still, yeah. we're still freaking out about, about what happened. Uh, you guys, uh, you watched it. We, we were, we were texting throughout the, the, throughout the experience and Mike, you were really into it. Of course you were into it. I think in large part because of our shared hatred of the Steelers. Uh, but but I think you were into the it game, was right? it was both it was it's a it's a hatred of the Steelers but also a genuine now because of my friendship with you and because we've been talking about the Browns like once or twice a month for <laughs> for eleven years eleven uh, years yeah <laughs> a genuine a genuine desire and also the the specifics of this which is it's a playoff game it's in Pittsburgh uh, yeah. Pittsburgh has the, that stat the most incredible stat in any category of stat. Is that the until this year the winningest quarterback in Cleveland's <laughs> stadium since it opened was Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> he plays yeah. there once a year, yeah. and he had the most wins of any Browns quarterback over the course of whatever it is now twenty years. That wasn't even that close. No, it was. It was. <laughs> it, was uh, like, they, it was like thirteen to ten or something like yeah. that. You know. Yeah. So playing their playing their rival in uh, on the road in a playoff game with their coach unavailable because of COVID with about 11 offensive linemen unavailable because of COVID. Uh, OBJ lost to a, a, a knee injury in like week five or week four, whatever, like all of, and then to go in there and be up 28, nothing in the first quarter. Oh. It, it, again, I know that I bring everything back to the Red Sox, but it was game seven in 2004. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. It was like, you're, you're sitting there and you're so nervous and you blink and your team is up six, nothing in our case. And, or eight nothing, and then in your case twenty eight nothing, and and it and it is like that. It's like the analogy holds in every dimension, including the fact that we all knew that the Steelers were going to mount a comeback. That there was right. no there was no right. chance there was no chance that the final score was fifty two to three. It was never going to happen. No, it was no. always going to be that the that the Steelers did enough to make you actually nervous because part of rooting for a losing franchise is you dream up new ways that the team can humiliate, embarrass, and disappoint you. And one of them would be, we were up 28 nothing in Pittsburgh in a playoff game, and they came back and beat us. Like, that would have been, the that's like the last way, the last new way that your team could have humiliated you, and yet they didn't. They held, They kept scoring. They just kept scoring, like they kept scoring, and and that I mean, I, the, I guess number one question before Brandon weighs in on his experience of uh, rooting for the Browns <laughs> is how how did you feel? Well, give us the roller coaster from beginning to end of how you felt dirt while that was going on. Well, there's no question that uh, that when they went up twenty eight nothing, 
And again, your points are 100% right. And look, I, I've, I've told Marissa that I'm going to do this. Uh, the, the Browns started uh, a guard named uh, Michael, and uh, Michael Dunn is his full name. And Michael uh, just so happens to be uh, uh, Marissa's longtime boyfriend going back to college. And uh, it was Michael's first game, first start in the NFL. So his first start in the NFL was against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road in a playoff game against Cam Hayward, right? Against like one of the great interior linemen of our, of our day. Uh, and, and he was fabulous. I mean, he was so good. So the first quarter watching him like shove people around and the Browns go up 28, nothing and Roethlisberger's throwing interceptions left and right. I, it didn't make sense to me. It really truly didn't. I, I was just sort of numb. And, and then when the quarter ended, I thought, yeah, the Steelers are going to come back and, and and at least make a game of this for sure. And honestly, you guys know, because you saw the text at the end of the third quarter, because the, the Steelers, the Browns were still up 35 to 10 at halftime because they had come down and scored, even though they let the Steelers score a late, a late field goal, 35 to 10. And then the Browns got the ball at the start of the second half. And then that third quarter was was my nightmare, right. pure nightmare. They go three and out, or they they don't they 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 have to punt. Steelers go right down the field in like four seconds and score. And then the Browns go three and out, and then the Steelers go right down the field and score. And at the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter, because the Browns punted again. I texted you guys; they're going to lose this game. There was at that point, I would say they were up uh, eleven or twelve, I guess twelve, and I. Honestly, if you had given me odds, I would have said ten to one. The Steelers were going to win yeah. the game, outright yeah. win. There was not even the slightest and, and doubt. That, and you would have said they would they were going to win by ten or twelve points. Yeah, that's like, right. It wasn't was, even going to be close at the end, <laughs> exactly. And then that's when uh, Nick Chubb threw an interception. Oh well, Nick Nick Chubb catching that forty yard touchdown. Chubb, that, that was the, that, that was that, to yeah. me that was the key because like they were it was like. Chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and then suddenly, like in a in a very short amount of time, that the Browns scored again. And what it meant was like the magic of the first half hadn't totally worn off. That like right. there was that there was more that they were like, all right, we're we're taking all these body blows, and we're <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're we're still fighting. Like that to me was the biggest moment of the whole game. I would say I, it was. But you will remember the Steelers then scored in like four seconds again. Yeah. To, to, to pull within, and then you texted me what they need here is an eight-minute drive, and then they went on, like, an eight-minute drive. Yeah. That was, to me, like, then, you know, that whole moment, I mean, of course, the talkie-talkie interception was was huge, and, and uh, I mean, there were, there were so many moments, but they went on that long drive uh, that ended up being a field goal, but that put the game away, and, uh, man, I mean... No, I was freaked out. I mean, Brandon, you could tell I was freaked out. I just, I just looked at your your three texts in a row, which was full fledged panic. Now, right? A minute, they might lose the game by two touchdowns. <laughs> Chub. <laughs> Chub. <laughs> that's that's exactly right, and that's exactly how I felt. And of course, I was watching the game with my my youngest daughter, who is a, a Browns fan. My older daughter is a Chiefs fan, which is a whole other thing that we got going this week, but. Um, she, this is the first time she's been through anything like this as a Browns fan, right? She's never even 
not only have the Browns never been in the playoffs, they've never been close. They've never played a game that was meaningful in any way in her lifetime, basically. Um, and so she's like looking to me <laughs> throughout the game. She's like, Dad, are they, they're going to, they're not going to lose this game. Right. And I'm like, I, I, I can't tell you that. <laughs> I just, I can't, yeah. I can't in good conscience tell you they're not going to lose this game. But when Chubb scored the touchdown, I did say, okay, you know what? They're going to win this game. I, I mean, there was still some shaky panicky moments after that, but you're right. It was, it was Chubb just, just absolutely going through that deep. What a player, by the way, he is. And, and you know what? They're a good team. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day, like their defense is not particularly good yet. And, and it was also really uh, hurting from, from some COVID uh, players missing. Um, but, they're a pretty good team. Yeah. They really are. And, their their and offense is great. Like they their have a offense great is offense. Really good. Yeah. Now, now here's what I, here's what I want to ask Brandon because Brandon and I have had arguments in the past about uh about like he doesn't really like it when um teams with long droughts uh, like win things. <laughs> win. That's he right. wants the he wants the teams with the long droughts <laughs> to continue to lose so that the narrative just builds and builds and builds forever, which I think is so crazy. Like he was he was like upset when the Cubs won. He didn't yes, want he, the, he didn't want the Indians to win. Uh, like like what is that? So are you are you now upset that the Browns won that playoff game? Would you have preferred them to lose so that the that the story the narrative actually gets like even more rich and intense? I'm. No, but I. But there's also three more rounds to go, so I know that there's like three more huge heartbreak waterfalls to get past. <laughs> um, so I realize, obviously, that should have. I, I know I texted her in the game and I asked Mike, you know, do you want this to be really crazy, whatever, at the end? And you said, why did you include me in this? And you were absolutely right. And so I was thinking, like, how silly it is to watch sports when you have no rooting interest. Like, I, I, I legitimately did not care who won that game. I don't. I don't have feelings for either one of the team. But it's 28 nothing, so I just want to see, like, okay, now I'm watching one of the most historic football games ever. It's going to be 28 nothing. Steelers come back and win or something. I want to be watching that if I'm going to be spending my time. And then you realize, like, you're living and dying by every single yard <laughs> that's happening. And then I remember, the t- like, any sports match I watch where it's my team, and I'm going crazy the whole time, and the amount of people who are just watching going, I don't care who wins. This is all fun to watch. This is, <laughs> this is gravy. So I shouldn't be on threads with people who are really involved with with their sport, but I don't, I don't hope that Cleveland doesn't win. Like I'm glad they won that game, and I'm honestly okay if they win the Super Bowl. I just want it to be as painstakingly tough as it can be for Joe. <laughs> if that makes any sense, I want him to have the ultimate glory. That would be great, but I need to be entertained a lot during it. Along the way, yeah, yeah. You know, I noticed that like when LSU. Is playing. I don't. I don't text you uh, and and Mike in the middle saying, hey, "Don't you really kind of wish they would just get destroyed here? Wouldn't that be like more fun if LSU would get you know bombed here? You know, if Liverpool would just blow this three nil lead or something? You know, it it it, feel, it felt it felt a little out of place in the middle of the uh, the game to be texting Mike like, "Hey, don't you actually kind of wish the Browns blow this game?" Yeah, that was uncool. Uh, also, he he's this other thing when when Lester was making a run at the at the Premier League title, 
it was like, I mean, this this was the craziest story ever, right? It, it, it's so much Incredible. crazier, so yes. much crazier than the Browns winning the Super Bowl this year was Lester. There was a famous right. story of a guy. <laughs> one guy had put a, a, a like a five thousand pound bet or something on Lester to win the league, and the and the book he had actually written, or the the sports book guy had written, "When Pigs Fly" or something on the ticket, and he was like, because he was like, you know, I don't know, eight hundred to one or something like that, or ten thousand to one. So anyway. He like they were so they had had this unbelievable run where everything went right and Jamie Vardy became the best striker in the it in the entire ridiculous. league. Yes. And so going into this last game or like the last couple games of the season, Brandon was still rooting for things to like go down to the wire. Like he wanted Lester <laughs> to lose. He wanted whoever was chasing them, Man City or Liverpool or whoever was chasing them. He wanted them to like win, and he wanted it to be like down to like Lester has to score a goal in the last two minutes of the last game in order to win the title. And I was like, this is insane. Like, just let them have this. This is, this is a thing that their fans have never thought they would see ever in their lives. Like just make it easy on them. And he was like, no, I would don't want to make it easy on them. I want it to be, he just wants like maximum drama at all. You want, moments. You want movie drama in everything that happens. You get all the way through that and they get to the championship game. And within three minutes, it's 35 to nothing. And you find out in reality that they didn't win that game on a Statue of Liberty play at the end of the game. They won it 72 to three or whatever the real life score was. <laughs> You'd be so pissed off. You're like, what the hell is this? Just make some shit up for me here. That's all I want in real life. And I don't think that's too much to ask that that Lester collapses a little bit and then right at the end, they pick it up and get it through the wire or they're down 45 to nothing to the Chiefs at the beginning. But then it turns out this weekend, they, they get past them by one point in some heroic play at the end. That's all I'm asking for. I'm, I'm okay with the results being the same in the end. I just want it to be really worked for. So long as it's not my team, then I want them to win 100 to nothing. <laughs> you know the famous line by uh, the uh, legendary Yankees uh, owner of the, uh, I can't think of his name, the, the Rupert uh, guy, uh, Jacob Rupert. He said that the perfect Yankees game was the Yankees taking a 10-0 lead in the first inning and then slowly pulling away. Um, <laughs> that feels to me like as a fan, yeah, I, I, you know what? 28 nothing didn't feel that great because it happened so fast. And, and I knew there was so much time left and I knew that the Steelers were going to come back. Uh, so, you know, when the, the fourth quarter felt great, but, but. Like that—that's dangerous too. I—I I just would like if they—if they'd gone up twenty-eight nothing in the first quarter and then been up forty-one nothing at halftime, I would have felt okay. I would have felt. I—I I think I would have felt better. But my uh, point—my I, I, my, my point, point with this stuff is like if it's a long-suffering team uh, that has had more than its share of heartbreak and disappointment and sadness right. and everything else. When it gets to the very, very end, like make it easy. You make it easy. Just give them one day. Give them one game where the team is just like partying, like Brazilian soccer fans for the entire time, just like rocking out and just ha slapping high five and being happy. Like the the perfect scenario was the 2004 ALCS because they almost lost Game Four and got swept, and then they miraculously in a miracle came back and won it. Game five goes into extra innings and another miracle. They win it. Game six goes into, uh, you know, is at in, in uh, is in 
New York, and it's like they right. and all this crazy stuff happens. A Rod knocks the ball out of uh, <laughs> out of Bronson Arroyo's hand, like umpires, uh, umpires twice. twice, whatever. Yep. Uh, okay, we've had enough now. Like in Game Seven, let's let <laughs> Johnny Damon hit a bunch of home runs and just like celebrate and, and like let the pressure off. It doesn't have to be like if it's a team like the Browns that has had so many heartbreaks and so <sighs> so much awful stuff happen to them. Like just for this one, I wanted it to be fifty-five nothing because I just wanted yeah. it to be this like cathartic relief. And and I yet there is an argument, of course, that like the Steelers coming back makes it a little more satisfying or something. I but, don't think it did. I would I would have been just as you would have been happy. To, just as happy if it, <laughs> in fact probably happier if it had been like oh yeah they just ran away with it. Well, it, I'll ask you this, Mike, because I know what Brandon's answer was. This how fulfilling was the two thousand four World Series? Which is a four nothing sweep. Oh, it was lost. the you best. Were... It was the best. <laughs> That's I was a, so. Did you I want did... that to go seven games? No, and, and... <laughs> no. I wanted them to win twenty to nothing in in four straight games, and that's essentially what they did. The Cardinals never led. Never led in an inning. They never led, and it was perfect. It was the perfect way to win a World Series because the the drama, the real World Series, was the ALCS, and so once you get to the World Series, you want it just to be a formality. You want zero drama. You don't want any drama. You've had enough drama, and I, and I like I don't want to ever be an Alabama football fan where it's like my team is just every year relentlessly destroying everybody. I don't think that would be that fun after a while. I you do need the ups and downs. You do need drama. You do need heartbreak in order to make those things those moments sweeter. But again, I'm a Red Sox fan. You're a Browns fan. We've had plenty of that stuff. <laughs> like uh, you don't, I don't need more of it. Like I've had enough of it. I know what it does for me, and I'm done. Well, you know what I would say is, uh, well, Brandon, I'm sure, Brandon, you probably hated that 2004 World Series. You probably wanted that thing to go seven and and have Red Sox fans like in panic throughout. Well, actually, here, here's a better here's a better question. Here's here's a better question. Hold on a second. Because the next year, Brandon won a ring with a team that swept the World Series in four That's games. Right. That's so, right. So as a member of that team, that White Sox team, did you were you looking for your own team to have more drama and, and heartbreak? <laughs> or did you just want to sweep and get your ring? When you're sitting in the dark, like I said, if you're the fan, I absolutely get Joe's point. I get your point. You want a quick, like... No must, no fuss World Series. Let's get it over with. We won. We're the best. So from my vantage point, of course, I want it over fast. But I do remember as a fan, I think this all started in 2004, being so disappointed. Like, you're like, oh, my God, if that's the appetizer, that Yankees-Red Sox series, how good is this going to be? And then five nights later, whatever it is, it's over. Nothing ever happened. You're like, they shouldn't even play the series. It was such a letdown in a formative year for me. I think it was 2021 for that. Like, okay, now forever I'm going to root for chaos. I don't care who actually wins. Just give me, give me the most. So sure, like it's it's hypocritical. But so wait a second, you're like a supervillain, and your origin story is the 20, 2004 World Series. That's that exactly was, right. And so That's you're, exactly now you're right. you're an agent of chaos, and the and the and the and the, your origin story is my like salvation story. That's insane. That's I didn't right. I didn't put That's this right. together. This is you. You became an evil person because of the thing that brought me the greatest joy. <laughs> this is this is the ultimate superhero movie, by the way, right here. Is, is Brandon becoming an agent of chaos for the same reason that you became a happy? Yes, person. we're this exactly. is like in the extended in the podcast extended universe. This is <laughs> this is where our this is where my story ends and yours begins. Wow, yes. it's fascinating. Yes. By the way, both of you have said this uh, during this podcast. 
I don't think Alabama fans mind what they do every year. I, I don't, I've never heard one Alabama fan say, yeah, I'd like another dark period for, to sort of make me appreciate this more. They, they seem fine with what's happening. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I mean, the real yeah. question is like, what ends it? Like, when does that change? Because they like, I mean, when Saban quits, yeah, Saban, does it, right? is I think, that it? I think, I think when Saban, go, I think Saban goes, Conceivably, look, I'm, I I would not consider myself to be any more uh, a uh, an expert in college football, uh, but I've seen this enough where Saban goes. I think they become. I mean, look, they might not become ordinary. They might get a great coach who who follows them up, but you know, they never really replaced Bear Bryant after he did. And they had some real dark years there in Alabama. Um, I think I think Saban goes and that team becomes ordinary again, or or could become ordinary if they don't follow it up with the right person. I mean, what poor son of a bitch has to follow Nick Saban and his seven <laughs> national championships at Alabama? Like, who's gonna even take that job? It's a suicide mission. Like, who in the world takes that job? Like, I, I mean, uh, it, you know, I guess it's there are the Urban Myers out there, and there's the although he might be going to Jacksonville, and there's there's the there's the sort of like. Lane Kiffin type guys who were, you know, who were the young Turks or whatever. That's who they should hire is Lane Kiffin. That would, that would be so awesome. If Alabama hired Lane Kiffin, they would go so fast into the toilet. It would be just joyous. I just can't imagine. That's your what? Sorry. Ultimate dream as an LSU fan is they hire Kiffin. He fails upward once again and ruins another program. (laughs) That's the hope. So by when, the way, let, I want to talk for a second about about uh, about uh, your Alabama coach um, and the legend that he is. You know, I mean, first of all, of course, you know, as Brandon uh, uh, will be happy to tell you, of course, he was he was a legend already at LSU when when he, you know, I mean, the guy is he's just a, he's obviously the greatest. I mean, he's just the, he's the greatest college coach ever. I, yeah. I, I really believe that mm-hmm. to be. And yet what a disaster for him with the Dolphins. And that was not necessarily a Dolphins team that was like, like they weren't, they weren't like at the level of the Browns at their lowest or something. They were like a, they were like a medium team with a, with a great history. And he went there and it was a nightmare. And I mean, it was just, nothing worked. Is, is it, you think it was just that one fluky thing. And if he went to another NFL team, he'd be great. Or do you think his magic is really just about college coaching? I think, I, I think a little bit of both can be true. I think if he went back now, it'd be more successful. Like he has what 12, 13, 15 more years of experience under his belt and yeah. kind of changing and evolving at Alabama. I think he was still very hardline at LSU. He was hated by all of his assistants. Players didn't love him. And then I think he took that same hardline to the NFL and tried to put like a square peg in a round hole. But so I would assume he's probably better at that now and has evolved. But I think that's probably why it was such a disaster so quickly. And I oh. think he'd be better. I mean, it's very funny that it was such a disaster. <laughs> it really me. is. It's like, it because really is funny. It, it, it's like, it, it's a, it seems, and who knows if this is true, but it seems from the outside that it's like, he believed his own hype. He believed that he is like the greatest football coach, not college football coach, but just right. football coach. And it, it seems to me that he went to the pros and talked to a group of grown men the same way that he talks to a group of children and the grown men were like, yeah, no, that doesn't, you can't talk to us like that. <laughs> like that's, I don't know if that's what happened, obviously, but that's definitely what it seems like that they were like, you can't screen. Like he's like, he's like he, him and Shashevsky and all those guys, right. they, they spend 
hours on 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 end screaming as loudly as they can at a bunch of kids who are not paid and whose entire futures are wrapped up in him continuing to like them right right and and, and believe in them and think that they're good and so it's just yes sir no sir yes coach no coach and then he goes to a pro team and you've got a bunch of you know very wealthy men who are you know 28 and not yes. 19 and he screams until his face goes red and they all look at him and go like what are you doing like we're not you can't talk to us this way i don't know if that's what happened obviously but i bet i, it, I be bet that. it is i bet it's part of what at least part of what happened uh now on the other I've hand i always thought that well it's just you you look at the guys who have had success in college and then the pros and they're guys like Pete carroll Pete carroll's right. not a scream until your face goes no. red kind of a guy and I just kind of feel like there is, you know, I don't know which one Urban Meyer is. I don't know. I don't know who knows. And I don't, it's obviously nothing is this facile uh, uh, in terms of an explanation of success in the pros, but I just can't help but feel with Saban. Like, I feel like if Shashevsky, um tried the same thing in pro basketball that he tries at Duke, I don't think it would go over that well uh, because. No. They're not uh, children who rely on him for their future. So uh, who knows? But that's what I believe and deeply hope is what happened to, to Nick well, Saban. Uh, look, there are not very many people who have who have excelled both in college and, and specifically, we can talk specifically in football. I mean, it's really very, very rare in basketball. Uh, but in football, I mean, it's not – it doesn't happen that often that, that a coach is successful. Like Jimmy Johnson was successful – uh, in college and in pros, but Jimmy Johnson literally was an NFL coach when he was coaching the University of Miami, right? I mean, like that was that was basically an NFL team that he that he coached, um, in, including you know pr- probably they had a higher payroll than the Browns at the time, um, <laughs> and which is which is fine by the way. But I, I wish they all had payrolls, but um, but you know so that worked. And then Pete Carroll was an NFL coach who went to college who came back to the NFL. Right, right, so right, right. Good. Point. I, I always thought like he was more of an NFL coach who succeeded in college. And I think that seems like an easier way to go. Although, uh, although uh, Mike, I know you being a Michigan fan, you might, you might not see it the same way. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's super duper hard. And I, I don't know if that's what happened with Nick Saban, but I want to believe that's what happened with Nick Saban. I, I just, I just want to believe that he is so perfectly suited for, because it's not just, college kids I mean they're young college kids right I mean they're freshmen and sophomores that 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 he tends to and juniors I mean they, they leave after their junior year as they should um I mean these are young young guys and then suddenly you're in a room with like your quarterback is about as old as you are and and you know your offensive linemen are 28 years old and and have have been beaten up you know for for five years six years you're not gonna put up with that why would you yeah uh, Brandon, as your LSU fandom waned, I feel like I feel I hear you talk no. about it less. It hasn't. Oh no! No, this well, I talk about it less. Good. They were, yeah, they were miserable this year, and it was <laughs> it was a, an atrocious team. Like that's the only no, that's the only only thing that's not changing. That's that's there. So that you as okay. a huge Brandon, you as a huge huge LSU fan, uh, and you are like that's that is that and Liverpool, I think, are are tied for number one in mm-hmm. your in your world, right? As a huge LSU fan, when it comes to the NFL, like, do you follow? Like, I mean, would you become a Bengals fan because Joe Burrow went there? Like, is that like a thing for you? 
No, I mean, I, I grew up a Niners fan and I'm still like, I prefer the Niners, but I'm much more, everything is just fantasy football to me. So I just follow the NFL as a whole. <laughs> I guess I don't really, I, I just root for good games all over. So it's not like I'm just rooting for the Browns to, to lose games that are close. I want everybody to do. I just want good, good games all over the place. But no, the, like I'll follow Burrow just because I loved him and think he's an exemplary human being and yes. I'll follow him. I'm not going to root for the Browns or do anything. I'll, I'll hope he does well. And, um, but now it's, I mean, LSU players are littered all over. It's like being a Bama fan. Uh, your players are all over the place. You just kind of root for the players and the ones that you really liked in college and, and go with that, I guess. How do you feel about Ed Orgeron, that insane gravelly voiced, uh, <laughs> like monster that runs that, your team now? Oh, that voice. Oh, I hate, I hate that I went back on my instinct, which was a couple years ago. I thought this was an absolute mess of a hire and I thought it was weird. And then he puts together the greatest college team ever in the greatest college season ever and i was like okay i was clearly wrong let's reevaluate all this and then six months later it was like i think they should fire him they should find <laughs> thing. i was right so i have no idea how to work on my decision making or my thinking but i don't know i think he's fine and i think he's an extremely unpolished he's he's not saving at all i think he has some upside but it's i i don't i overall i think he plays up that caricature too much and and does too many weird things and kind of gets a taste for himself. This is an interesting question that because the, the the so the Eagles just fired Doug Peterson three years after he won a Super Bowl, a, a, which is a thing that Eagles fans had been waiting for their entire lives, right? right. And then three years later, boom, gone. So the the, the question is, what? How is it? Is that the length of time that it, that a championship gives you? Three years? Is that true in every sport? Like, how many years? Do, does a championship in different sports buy you as a coach before your fans call for your call for your head if your team isn't good anymore? This is a great question. This is a great question. This is now. Wait, this is we're talking just pros, right? Because I think in college, no, I don't know because like Ed Orgeron put together I that crazy it. team, wins the national championship, and now this year they were they were garbage. And like if Brandon, serious question: If they were this bad again next year, would you say that LSU should fire him? He's ready to fire him now. Yeah, but that's over different. It's not just over over results. Like there's that the Title IX investigation. There's the sexual assault and rape cases that were possibly covered up. Like there's a big investigation that's going on there that has a chance to actually kind of crush the program and and show that there was some really bad things happening that he was at the the top of. Uh, so like, that's the the thing that clouds the whole thing. So no, I wouldn't say it that fast if they were just. But I think it's a relative bad. Like when you see what the top looks like, that once you have a team like that, it should just be a machine that's self-sustained as long as you stay out of the way, a la Saban or Swinney or Clemson, and you realize like he can't even do that one to two years after. That means there's a serious flaw, and like the outlier was the good year. So then I would advocate for it. But like right now, without the whole investigation, I wouldn't be saying fire or drawn. I'd be saying fire Polini and fire the staff. But um, if it happens again and all that's going on, then sure, get let's let's remove him. <laughs> So I guess we should say absent other issues like investigations and scandals and everything else. Like if it's just about on-field quality and bad play, how many years do you get? How many years does a championship buy you? I think it's three is okay, probably so, the number. So, three years of sucking. It yeah, buys okay, you well, three years of sucking. Let's let's start with the NFL, all right? Because I think the Peterson thing is is a, an amazing. First of all, it's Philadelphia, so so that that town is obviously very uh, difficult and tough, um, but. That it's not just that Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl three years ago. They made the playoffs the last two years. Yeah. I mean, they weren't they weren't particularly good, but they made the playoffs uh last two years. Like two years ago they won a playoff game. Last year they made the playoffs. This year they were terrible, but it was such a weird year. So 
that tells you it's at least like three years is the most. Like I think if you have two really bad years after a Super Bowl, they're already talking about firing you. I think that's what at least in 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 certain towns, certainly in Philadelphia, you 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 don't get you don't get any any leeway. But there's no way that they if you win a Super Bowl and you have a bad year and then a second bad year, there's no way that 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 the the team fires you after that second bad year. It, unless it's like you well, literally go 1 in 15 or something. I still like I I think you get that third year and maybe you're fired in the middle of that third year. Middle of the year. Or that something. could be. That could be. That yeah. could be. Yeah. It's always hard Base- to judge these from the outside because there's so many things that happen inside the room that you've got players who are, you know, that you can tell they've checked out or they're actually telling right. ownership or telling management like, hey, this guy, this guy's a turd. This has to go. We're not playing <laughs> yada yada. And we're all standing outside like, but they're nine and seven. This isn't bad. Where everybody is miserable. There's a pall over the room. Like, I think that's the thing that's hardest to, to determine from the outside. Well, what struck me about Peterson, why I think he's different than a lot of these other cases, because I think when we go to baseball, it's it's going to be different, is Peterson was not just, he didn't just take a team to the Super Bowl. Like lots of, not lots, but some coaches just have a great year and they take a team to the Super Bowl. It was his second year as the Eagles coach, and there was this sense that he was like the best young coach in football, right? I mean, it was, he, he brought like an aura with him to the Super Bowl. So, man, that turned around fast. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's not that young. I mean, he's, I mean, I guess he's not like. No, a, no, not young, but a young NFL coach. Yeah, I mean, it like, was first, yeah. It was his first team that he'd coached, been a head coach for. Yeah, I mean, he also, like, that team was just, it was a sort of charmed team of destiny. Like, they had, yes. they, 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 you know, they won that game with their with their backup quarterback <laughs> and allowed the opposing quarterback to throw 500 yards. Like, <laughs> yes, and they yes, still won the Super Bowl. Like, it was just, they just had this magical run. And so it's hard to know. And, like, the thing that he the the weird thing about him is he completely changed the NFL very quietly. He changed the NFL because he did things that are that people had been calling for teams to do forever, which is like, hey, if it's fourth and two, go for it. Like, right, if, right. if it's fourth and three, go for it. If you're on the other side of the field and it's fourth and five, go for it. And he did that. And he went for it on fourth down all the time. And he called the Philly special in the Super Bowl and did crazy stuff and was just more aggressive in his approach to the game than anyone else had been and now everybody is now everybody does that everybody sees that like the the if you can if you're if you have a quarterback who completes two-thirds of your passes which every nfl quarterback does and all you need is two yards and you're on anywhere close to the 50 you should go for it it's a better bet because guess what the other quarterback also (laughs) probably completes 67 percent of his passes (laughs) and everybody's scoring all the time and so like that he that was that in my mind at least I could be wrong but I feel like that was largely Doug Peterson did that stuff and so it's pretty wild that the guy showed up won a Super Bowl changed the NFL went back to the playoffs and then is fired that that, that, that seems really crazy to me and that's what I'm saying it happened fast for yeah. for a guy that I think did have a big impact um by the way it should be mentioned that in that Brown Steelers game that was that was how the Steelers that is punted, one of the craziest they, they, I can't believe it's taken us this long to talk about this. They they are they're just they're slicing through the Browns defense. Slicing through just the Browns. Yes. Touchdown. Four plays, touchdown, four plays, touchdown. They get to fourth and one, right? On the Browns like forty two or something. That's right. Four, something like that, forty five. Yeah, it was fourth and one from from their own they were on their side of the field, but really close to midfield. Close like to midfield, 44. right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they punt. That is the, I, I tweeted at that moment that Mike Tomlin should be fired for that decision. <laughs> and I kind of think I'm right. I mean, that is it. They are they are unstoppable. The Browns have done. The Browns are basically playing prevent defense and they're they're not even trying to stop the completions from happening. Nope. They're just they're backing off and they're thinking like we're in a run out the clock situation. We're going to let them get eight yards at a time. That I, that was that was insane. That was truly insane. That's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it was it was wonderful, just absolutely wonderful. I, I I said you know I wrote it in in my Browns diary this week that look I'm not even going to discuss the the you know analytics of of that decision. All I'm going to tell you is when the when the Steelers really went out there to punt because you remember they went out there to punt and then and then it looked like they weren't going to snap the ball because they were trying to draw them offside. Right. And I thought what was going to happen was they were going to try to draw them offside call timeout, and then go for it. That's right. what I thought was going right. to happen. Instead, they let the clock run out and took the five-yard penalty. I was I was in heaven. I was so happy that they had decided to punt in that situation. The, the only thing that scared me was that they were going to go for it. I mean, and, just and a so, yeah, truly insane, awesome. a truly insane situation. Yeah, it really was. It really was amazing. All right, uh, let's talk one more time about the – because I think it's really interesting in baseball – you win a World Series. I don't think I. I maybe it's going to give you three years. Maybe. I think it's. Le- <laughs> I think. It, I think it's less. I honestly it might I, be less. It I, might be two years. I baseball. think you get. I think you could be fired after your second year in baseball. When did Joe? Ma- when did people start talking about firing Joe Madden? Like pretty soon after. I mean, even though they went to like the championship game the next year. I think in 2019, people are already like, yeah, we're sick of Well, but they won. Okay, wait. They won in 2016, right? Right. So, and then he was fired in 2019. Well, yeah. They didn't. That was was three years, right? So, he got three years. He got three years, but it was. It wasn't like that last year. really good years. Yeah, it was supposed to be after 18, right? Because that last year was, we kind of knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. So, it. And they were two really good years. I mean, they won 92 and 95 games. But even then, everybody's like, yeah, I'm sick of this guy. Enough enough, enough elephants on the field or whatever the heck Joe Mann was doing, you know. Brandon, was, what happens in a clubhouse when you're, when you're, when a manager is fired? Like, what, what do you guys all text each other and, like, and like communicate? Or do you just all sit around and wait for the announcement about who is going to replace him? Like, what, what is that process like? What is it? What happens? Nothing. I, I guess, yeah, maybe a text thread, but it's the thing with baseball. Like, if, if at least if it happens in football, like, that's where it's a big deal. Like, that's your whole offensive plan. You're, you're right. teaming everything. Baseball, it doesn't matter. Like, if the, if the manager didn't show up for a week, I don't know that anybody would notice. They would notice the human <laughs> not being there, but not the actual coaching presence. It would just be like, that's that's fine. I, that's why, like, the manager is the in baseball is the least important position of all the managers across all the sports. Like, they certainly have importance but it's in much different ways but it's just sort of like okay so and so has been fired i guess what time you get into the yard and that's really (laughs) so you're saying that there's you like the manager plays almost no role in your life as as a as a player i think there's like the the timekeeper of the room and like the general like vibe of the room but still so much that is dependent on the players in it that I, I always think like the best baseball coach would be the guys that you want over to your dinner party that you know that you can invite 10 people from different walks of life. And that guy would, by the end, everybody would go, you know what? I really like that guy. That guy was great. Like 
he's just able to get along with everybody, communicate with everyone and just sort of move on. Like the baseball decisions, there's a bench coach, there's other coaches there to help make the decisions. Now there's front offices. And so like your actual business, your baseball genius isn't so much on tests all the time. It's just, can you manage a room, work a room and make everybody feel valuable and feel kind of the Jurgen Klopp thing. Do you, does everybody feel motivated and ready to play for you? And then you just sort of have to kind of sit in the dugout in your uniform and keep everybody happy. Right. It's the, it's the Billy Bean thing where he hired Art Howe because Art Howe looked like a manager. <laughs> and he was like, that's what's important. He looks like a manager. Look at him. He looks like a manager. You want somebody in there who just looks like it. I think that's great. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like game five of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns, in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side. Found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. All right, let's go to our draft really quickly because I'm very excited about uh, this draft. Uh, We are uh, drafting honorifics. That's right. Is that is that that's is right? That the yeah, way honorifics. That, yeah, that's, we're drafting it's, honorifics. It's the titles and uh, and uh, things that you call people who have form diff- of address, for, yes, forms the form of, address of address, the way you address for various people right. in various ranks of different societies. Yes, yes, Brandon. How about you get the first pick in our honorific draft? <laughs> <laughs> this is, there's so many silly things, but this is this is top of the silly. Um, there's only one honorific I think that even qualifies here, and I think he took all of them. So it's it is it's Idi Amin. Uh, sure. And his full honorific is His Excellency President for Life, Field Marshal Al Hajj Doctor Idi Amin Dada, Victory Cross, Distinguished <laughs> Service Order, Military Cross, Lord of All the Beasts on the Earth and Fishes of the Sea. And conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. Um, that's the best honorific. <laughs> what, what is your favorite Idi Amin honorific? I mean, you, you should probably pick one because I think Lord of the Beasts yeah. is is strong. I think, think and Fishes of the Sea. That one. <laughs> that's the best part. There's no question. Because beasts yeah. on the earth, like, yeah, you can kind of tame them, but we're still not doing that much with sea animals. Like, they're still moving around freely, <laughs> but he's no, Lord of he, them. He, 
this Lord, it's like he's not even he's not even ceding any ground to Aquaman. He's just like, <laughs> no, <laughs> Lord of the Beasts and Fishes of the, the Sea. The fact they got okay. the word particular in there, like <laughs> and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. Yeah. They worked on that, by the way. I mean, you got to feel like they were in a room and they they came up with the with all of them. That feels like it's just one person doing it. I don't know if that's a committee. That's like that's fine. Just you. <laughs> no, this is a, this is a special case. This is a it's a little bit um, uh, it's a little bit of a cheat because this is not this is not like I, th- that honorific has never been applied to anyone other than Edie. I mean, <laughs> it's not like a gen- This isn't a general like no one else. When he died, then the next person became. A leader in Uganda. I don't think. Yeah, any, exactly. Any, no, it wasn't like. Well, just call me the same thing you called Idi Amin. <laughs> I always liked Idi Amin Dada. I always liked the Dada as and throwing that in there. But uh, yeah, that's more of a specific one. But that's okay. That's okay. And, and Look, ex- there's no ex- rules ex- in these drafts. There are no rules in these drafts. All right, Mike, your first pick in the honorific draft. Uh, I I I suggested this. Um, subject because I've been watching because it's, it's delightful and I've been watching The Crown with my wife we we missed the crown somehow and we went back and we've been watching it and it's it's very funny because there's all of these very fussy rules and regulations for how you address the queen the queen mother the 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 duke of windsor who you know who uh, uh abdicated the throne blah 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 and it and it's they're they're always very very concerned in this very funny way in this fussy way about how to do it so I love all of them. I think they're all really funny. But th- I was poking around on the Wikipedia entry for honorifics, and I found this detail that uh, I love. You know, Your Highness is a is a classic, obviously. Your like, Highness, Your Highness is, is, a, is a classic. Um, but there is a uh, the Prince and Grandmaster of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta uh, requires <laughs> you in oral address to say Your Most Eminent Highness. How is it and possible that you just stole one of my picks? <laughs> because you're, you're because you're dealing with uh, Edie Amin specifically, and I'm dealing with the Prince and Grandmaster of Sovereign Military Order of Malta. It's completely different. So two different things. Your the the just that clip of Your Most Eminent Highness really makes me laugh. It's like Your Highness isn't enough. You have to. This is the no, most. This no. is the most eminent among those who are high. Uh, that one really makes me laugh. So I'll go with Your Most Eminent Highness as my first pick. That is That's absolutely an great one. It, it feels it's like a great. high schooler filling out a word count for an essay and just having to add more <laughs> words. In. It's it really is good. It really is like and and there is that moment where you're like, highness is not enough. Yeah, it's it's not it's not enough to be. Well, high. I assume it's, what goes on here is like they they say your highness for like the the so, such and such person, and then it's like, well, this person now is above that, that person. person. So what do we do? We can't we can't just call both of them your highness. And it's like, oh, your most eminent highness is that now. That's how we and that's why that's how you get to that EDMEAN thing. Is it just you keep adding and adding and adding and adding <laughs> to the point where it's like we have to differentiate all of the different little subsections of this ridiculous social order. I love. Love it so much it's so funny <laughs> it is delightful all right that's an excellent pick all right with my first pick um i don't i don't you know i mean like i i've got like on my list here quite a few of these uh of these sort of royal ones and that kind of thing but my first pick there is no reason to me that you should have to call the commissioner of a sport mr commissioner like that doesn't feel <laughs> 
Like why? Like that, like that's that should not be an honorific. Like commissioner should be like okay. I mean, if you want to put commissioner in front of your name, you know, um, or want to be the commissioner, like on the Batman TV show, sure, you know, where you call the commissioner. But Mr. Commissioner, Madam Commissioner, should we? Ever... I didn't even know they did that. People yeah. really oh, yeah. do that thing. Oh, it's a thing. Oh, it's a thing. Like literally, when you have like a press conference, they go, "Mr. Commissioner." Like this is a big one oh, for uh, for podcast for podcast uh, uh, commissioner Roger Goodell. Like he he you know he he deigns to do one press conference a year at the Super Bowl, and it's in this gigantic room, and it's 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 just pathetic. Mr. Commissioner is oh, Mr. so commissioner, lame. Two, that is two so questions. lame. Two, two questions, Mr. Commissioner. Uh, first of all, yeah, Mr. Commissioner and and like there are commissioners who have like like they insist that you call. It's like a PhD. It's like they insist that you're like no, it's 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 Mr. Commissioner. Oh my Thank God. you. Uh, I had no yeah. idea that. <laughs> that is the, that's one here. of the saddest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Like Rod, like Roger Goodell putting on his like his like his tailored suit in the morning and putting his little NFL pin on and then putting his pocket square and just looking at himself in the mirror and just being like, it's time for Mr. Commissioner to go to work. <laughs> Looking good, Mr. Commissioner. And I, I like to like- I like to also imagine like a, a fight between him and someone who says like, Mr. Goodell, do you think? And he's just like, it's Mr. Commissioner to you, like. <laughs> Like this, just the idea that you would, uh, that you would use that. Like he's a glorified human shield. Like he's his his job is to soak up scandals so that the billionaire owners of the NFL don't get in trouble. And it's like that. Maybe that's why they did. I'll bet you anything. This is like Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft were like, let's, let's let him call himself Mister Commissioner. It'll make it'll make him feel good. <laughs> We're gonna need this guy to take a lot of crap for us over the next twenty years. So let's just. What if we announce that we're calling him Mr. Commissioner? <laughs> Mr. Commissioner, Mr. Oh. Commissioner, and I have. Uh, yeah, I know it's 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 horrifying. You've already it's won this horrifying. draft by by <laughs> informing us of the fact that they calls himself Mr. Commissioner. Does oh, Manfred call himself in, in silver? Like, do they all? Do, oh or yeah. Just an NFL I, I've not heard Silver do it. I probably does, but Manfred, I've definitely heard him called Mr. Commissioner. Oh, she. Mr. Commissioner. Two questions, Mr. Commissioner. Oh, First, oh uh, with the Astros. So yeah, I mean that's that is that is a fact. Fantastic. A fact. All right, Brandon, you're up. <laughs> oh god. I so this brings up like a point like I, honorifics just really bug me in general because they're <laughs> it's it's just your name. We all were given a name. Let's just use the name. Um sure. I the one that I actually find, and this actually goes hand in hand with Mr. Commissioner is coach. Um and when people <laughs> use just coach in general and so you play golf at places and some college football coach or an nfl yes. someone will come in they go hey coach like that's not your coach your <laughs> sunday why are you calling him coach and the fact that they kind of you can see they just sort of they enjoy being called coach uh it just personally bugs me i find it very funny but not quite as silly as being called mr commissioner but just being no. called coaches is weird. It's a great coach, pick. It, it's a great pick. It is a great I, it, pick. Coach was, is yeah. a delightful thing. That's a. It's you're right. It's like there's there's the annoyance that as a player you have to call your coach coach. Like that's an annoyance. And then like in the media you're expected to call him coach, which is like, I'm sorry, you did not go to medical school for this. You don't get coach. <laughs> But then it's like you're right. It's the guy at the country club or the guy who just shows up like 
And everybody's like, coach, good to see you, coach, coach. Hey, there's coach. Coach is over there. Like, what are you talking about? Just stop. It's it's, it's the only coach is the coach from Cheers. That's the only that's right. coach. That's right. That's a good point. But like that, there's something the the saddest version of this is when it's like an NFL pregame show or whatever, and like Mike like seventy nine year old like beaten up can barely barely knows where he is Mike Ditka is like sitting there and everyone's just like coach what do you think about this and he's just like well we got to run you got to run the football football you got to run the football you got to pass the football and football needs to be passed up football football and they're like thank you coach and it's like that he's like they they're still like grown men calling each other coach long past the time when they're not only coaches but are like are are coherent in the way that they talk about the sport that they're supposed to be analyzing that is the saddest part of it to me because it's like it's just so it's like you're it's like you're humoring them. It's not it's not that different from his excellency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Idi Amin. It's like they're still like we got to treat this guy with respect because he deserves it. No, they what? don't. They're just they're football coaches. This is absurd. What do you guys think of they've been doing this for years when like they'll go to the studio at halftime of a CBS game and they'll tell you like, oh, let's go back to Phil, Tony and Coach Cower. Like what? Like. How do we feel Coach about that? Coach Cower. <laughs> Back to quarterback Phil and Coach Cower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quarterback Phil and uh, former history major Jim. And like, it's like, why does everybody get a – it's ridiculous. I And it's, it's such – it's – it's definitely in the realm of just like fake macho nonsense, right? It's just like it is. once, a, once totally a coach, fake. always a coach. It's so lame. Um, Absolutely. All right. I, I'm I'm still in the, the coach is a great pick. I was going to pick that. <laughs> but I, I, I have this really vague memory that I'm not even sure is real. But the memory is that when the movie The Rainmaker came out uh, a million years ago with like Matt Damon and whoever, um, the, the posters for it, I believe, said... Francis Ford Coppola's John Grisham's The Rainmaker. And it was like, it was like one of those deals where like both like John Grisham was like, I'll give you, I'll sell you this movie, but it has to say John Grisham's The Rainmaker. And then Francis Ford Coppola has it in his deals that he always gets the, the above the title credit. And so they're like, well, what do we do? We've got two guys. And it's like, all right, well, here's the solution. It's Francis Ford Coppola's John Grisham's The Rainmaker. And it was just so absurd. And so I was read, and I always love that as like this, there's no better way to explain like ego than multiple people being above the title in a movie poster. So I read in, again, in the entry for honorifics that at the University of Cambridge, the correct way to address the vice chancellor of the University of Cambridge is the right worship of the, the right worshipful, the vice chancellor. So it's like there's two thes in there for some reason. So it's not the right worshipful vice chancellor. It's the right worshipful the vice chancellor, which is oh, just delightful. so pointless. And it's like if you were the vice chancellor at the University of Cambridge, wouldn't you just say, hey, uh, call me Gary? It's just going to save a lot of time if you call me Gary. <laughs> like, I can't imagine anyone who enjoys being called the right worshipful the vice chancellor Gary Johnson or whatever. It's just... It bits bananas, but I again love it all. Love it, love every, oh, love, love every it. bit of love this. It. That is so delightful. All right, with my second pick, I'm just gonna go with the basic. I mean, it's it's obvious, but uh, I'm gonna go with Sir, you, just the the typical knight, Sir. And I'm thinking again of how uh, they always introduce Nick Faldo as Sir Nick Faldo. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> like that? That seems to me.
me to be just about the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, no, no offense to Nick Faldo, a fine, a fine golfer. Uh, and look, he got knighted. I'm uh, that's fine. Sir Nick Faldo, really? Like I'm now I've got to, I've got to bow down to that guy because he won a couple of masters. I mean, no, no. I mean, look, I, I get the night thing and, but I, to me, like I, I do fully appreciate the dame for, for, for women who get knighted. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of cool. The sir thing really bothers me. And it bothers me with like particular people. Like they're like Sir John Gielgud. Okay, fine. You know, you can, if, if you've, if you've done, you know, 700 different versions of, of, uh, yeah. Henry VIII, Sir Lawrence fine, Olivier. You know? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. That's fine. Sir Nick Faldo. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And, and, uh, okay. So uh, real quick, a million years ago, my friend Robert Carlock, who I worked with at SNL, who created 30 Rock with Tina Fey and, and uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, like all these great shows. He, he had this idea for a movie that I was like, if you don't write this, you're insane. Uh, and he, I don't think he ever did, um, but it's such a funny idea for a movie. The basic idea is the queen gets kidnapped. And they don't were like, we don't know what to do. What happens when the queen gets kidnapped? There's no protocol for this. It's never happened before. And they look up in like the, you know, the Magna Carta or whatever, like this some ancient <laughs> British document. And what it says is if this should, should the monarch get kidnapped, like all the knights of the realm shall gather to form a, you know, to go in search of, of him or whatever. And so it's basically like Ringo Starr and like Elton John <laughs> and, like, and Nick Faldo and all of these people have to get together and go save the queen. I was like, how are you not doing this? This is the best idea I've ever heard. And he never wrote it, but uh, it's such a funny idea. Okay. That is the greatest thing I've ever yeah. heard in my entire life. I know. It's so funny. It's because uh, if you really get into like who the Knights are, it's all, it's just like aging rock stars and, and actors and, <laughs> And Elton John and, you know, and, you know, John Cleese and you know, just like, just like <laughs> imagine that, that's Cleese. the like, that's the crew that's uh, that's and then a bunch of academics, you know, like a bunch of old like physics professors from from oh, Oxford. Just like that, that round table, it sounds like the greatest thing <laughs> in the history. You just have all these people at the round table, Sir Nick Faldo yeah. there prominently with right next to Sir Ringo Starr. Next to I've Ian never, McKellen. by the way. <laughs> I've, Ringo Starr, I believe, has been knighted. I've never heard him called Sir Ringo Starr. No, have you ever heard? No, because I think Ringo's like a chill dude who's like, "Don't worry about it," you know. Like, <laughs> don't don't worry. Nick Faldo, not a chill dude, by the way. I I don't know. I mean, I I assume the fact that that every single time they call him Sir Nick Faldo suggests to me that either he's okay with it or he said, "I I won't work here." Unless you call, unless you call me Sir fantastic, Faldo. Yeah. yeah, it's like Joe, it's Joe DiMaggio, the greatest living ball player. <laughs> That's but you cut off one of my honorifics that's coming up. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Brandon, I'm running. You guys have taken the ones that I, I really, I'm, his most eminent highness is actually my absolute favorite one because it's just so wordy and verbose. But I love Sir for just like there is something weird to being just called Sir. And I would assume for ma'am yes. where like, it's the moment you feel like you're an adult. It's a moment you right. feel like now you're over the hill, but you do also feel like, yeah, I could add more words to this and feel even better. Like, <laughs> it does hit that spot in your ego of like, yes, I am a man of stature. Please continue to call me that. Um, so now I'm scraping the bottom of my barrel, but your worship, I find to be very funny, even though Fantastic. I know like it's the best, the worship means something else, but it's the only one that sounds like your, and then a verb. It would just be your running Usain Bolt or just, it just <laughs> these are all so pretend and silly that your worship it just sounds wonderful to me. 
Your worship is delightful. It's fantastic. Just, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's a yeah. it's a really and it's also used for um uh, for mayors yes. and like justices of the peace and <laughs> right. ma- like it's not even like you would expect it to be like the pope or something, but it's used for like very low ranking people and it's like that makes it even funnier because it's like they neither ego they're just like the mayor of Birmingham or whatever it's like your worship thank you for gracing us with your presence the person so who dumb. gives you your marriage license you go, oh thank you your worship and then, thank you your worship yeah, yeah I need a fishing license please your worship and uh, I for the same reason my pick is your highness which um, oh yeah it's a classic. I know I already picked Your Most Eminent Highness, but the classic Your Highness, when you really think about it, is so funny. It's like, how do I indicate to this person that they are held in esteem and that they are literally above me? Oh, you're you're high. You're just, you're high. You're up there, and I'm down here. There is something very funny to me about having to say it over and over, Your Highness or Your Royal Highness or whatever. That's a thing that happens, obviously, in the crown all the time. And they're, it's it's just the most humiliating thing to have to say your <laughs> highness to someone. It's like, because your highness implies me lowness. It's like, I, I am low, right? It's like, that's literally what you're saying is I'm low in your high. And it's so humiliating. Uh, it's, how, about, how about somebody putting the ness on the end of that high yeah. in the first place, right? I mean, like that does, those don't really go together, right? It's like... Yeah, your highness. Like, like we. I. How do I? How do I say that you're higher than me? Yeah. But like in a very, like a very. You have the. Highness. You have the quality of being high. You have. You have highness. <laughs> we should call super tall people like Brandon highness. There you go. I think we should call Brandon your highness right. because that's that's legit. Let's that's let's legitimately get, true. Let's get Brandon's baseball reference page to somehow say that one of his nicknames <laughs> was your highness. <laughs> your highness. But the right, All right modifier. Well, like the more you read, like you get to do whatever you want with the modifier before because for people who are underneath like whatever the highness is, there's <laughs> that like your Oh yeah, you can pony highness. <laughs> Your Highness. Delightful. All right. My third pick really was going to be, and now still will be, because I still think it's absolutely hilarious, the uh, the greatest living baseball player. Uh, this only became a thing. This became a thing, for, for those that don't know the history of this, in 1969, Major League Baseball, the only good thing or interesting thing that uh, Bowie Kuhn did as, as commissioner of baseball was he put together a panel and they came up with the all-time 100-year uh uh, baseball team and uh joe dimaggio was not only selected for the team but was called in this the greatest living player which uh he was not uh even at the time he was uh uh in fact definitely at the time he was not the greatest living player since that was still when willie mays was playing and uh, hank aaron was playing and roberto clemente was playing and uh and so on and so on, and so on. i mean he, he was a great player you know uh, and you, you could argue, I guess, that he was better than Clemente, but it would be it would be an argument. Anyway, he loved that title very, very much. And uh, as as I'm sure everybody here knows, uh, he insisted on that being his honorific uh, every time he was introduced, particularly at Yankee Stadium, where they would make a big deal of saying the the greatest living ball player um, 
you know, Joe DiMaggio when he was, again, not the greatest living ball. And by the way, Ted Williams outlived him, so so he couldn't have been the greatest living ball player. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's gone now. You don't hear. Right. I mean, like, every so often somebody will say, like, oh, Willie Mays is probably is the greatest living ball player or Hank Aaron is the greatest living ball player. But nobody, it's not a title. They it's didn't not pass like it thing. down to anybody, yeah. Yeah. No, and I think it should be. I think there should always be a greatest living ball player in every sport. Every sport should have like a great – and if you're playing, like if you are one of those people, not that anybody on this uh, podcast would be, but if you're one of those people that believes Tom Brady is the greatest living NFL – greatest NFL player ever, uh, then you – he should be called the greatest living football player ever. Like before every game, like they should make that – like. I think every sport should have a greatest living player. Obviously, it would be Gretzky in in hockey, uh, and then I think it would be LeBron. But I, Jordan, they would do another eight part series on Jordan if he wasn't him, <laughs> and um, and 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 Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or both if you want to give them both the the title uh, now in baseball. I think I I miss that honorific. I I I'm. I sort of I'm sort of resentful that that DiMaggio took that with him to his to his grave. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that you would have to say that you're not. It's like the Hall of Fame where you're not. You don't qualify to be the greatest living player until you retire. Because well, you do. So you, see, I wouldn't even have said no, that. No, I think you, you have to that, because it's like if you if you Aaron Rodgers is the greatest living player and then he gets hurt the next year, it's like, well, okay, what what, what and then Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Like I, I think that I think you need to I think it's like you you're not eligible till you retire. I think it's 5 years. Yeah, you want to No, I think you can as return? soon as you retire, you're eligible, I would say, or maybe whatever, 6 months later, you're eligible. But I think it, it just to make it to take the vicissitudes of individual seasons kind of out of the equation i think it's like, like you that. have to you have to be retired uh, All right, so jordan would would be the best jordan would be currently and then the, the second lebron retires uh it would be lebron because lebron <laughs> is very clearly like and obviously better than jordan hellscape that is sports arguments you want to give official titles now and then i, I yes. would be there for the pettiness of this where like jordan would go up to something <laughs> the greatest living basketball player and then lebron would show up and be like wait who's calling who what like i think it's me <laughs> And fight over this. Like we can't agree on the genesis of a deadly pandemic and whether it's real. But I don't know that we're going to agree on whether Mike Trout is actually better than Willie Mays or this would. Yes, great. More arguing. I love it. More arguing. This is the greatest. By the way, you get splinter groups that go off, so that Jordan still has people introducing him as the greatest living player even after LeBron retires, but nobody believes it, and and you know they have their own they have their own thing, and then they create their own. Uh, social media platform uh, that's just for them. I I'm all for it. I'm all for more things that divide us as a nation. That's right. I think that's that's what I'm looking Love for. Love it. Way too homogenous now. We need to be separated. <laughs> we really we really are. Homogeny is America. I mean, I think that's a, we're that's we're too in sync as a nation. We're too sort of like uh, we're we we're too friendly to each other. We need some tension to kind of like you know jazz things up a little bit. <laughs> All right, Brandon. All right, Brandon so we're, final pick. we're doing four. We're only doing four picks. So this is your final pick. That's right. Mike's new uh, formula is when we have three, uh, everybody gets four picks. When we have four or more, everybody gets three picks. This is this is the new a new podcast draft rules. With, you've cleared this with Mr. Commissioner. I cleared right? it with Goodell, and uh, and I I I called him on the phone and I said, 
Uh, Mr. Goodell, your most eminent right worshipful, the <laughs> vice chancellor, highness of excellency, Mr. Commissioner, I have a request. And he said, thank you for using the correct honorific. Uh, and then he granted my request. You got to know how to talk to the guy. You know what I mean? You do. You do. The, the guy, if, if you don't talk to him the right way, you're never going to get what you want. All right, Brandon. All right, final Brandon. pick. So I don't, like I said, I don't like honorifics. And I decided when I was really young for some, for whatever reason, I like, I, I just wouldn't call people by them. I'm just going to call you by your first name. And I, I've offended people by calling presidents by their first name. I've, I, I've really stuck to this. There's only one that I will go against and that's doctor, but I won't say doctor. I will say doc because uh. especially after my head injury, I'm very bad with names. Remember even people that I know very well, I just like names just don't come to my brain easily. But I do know if someone's a doctor, I can always get away by saying, Doc, hey, what's up, Doc? And that's, it's such an easy, fun one for me. And like a get out of Hey, what's part. up, Doc? Yep. Really? That's what you're saying? <laughs> Apparently, yes, I am. But that's the only one that I will go on. So it's actually, it's a very, it's one of my favorites because of that. You should carry, now, will you carry some carrots in your pocket so that you can chew on them <laughs> right before you say, hey, what's up, practice. Doc? Yeah. Eh, yeah, just practice. Yeah. Eh. When, when, um, do you put a name afterward? Or is it always doc? Oh, I can't. Cause I can't get the name. And if I do, then it's right. like, I just get, I just go with doc. And I feel like that at least gets some of them wrapped up. Well, I like doc. I like doc, but I don't like doc when you put it something afterward. Like that remind that's too doc Hollywood or something. Like doc you know? Gooden. Doc Gooden. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Like that doesn't, although by the way, Four years of medical school. You got to oh, call the man. What you got? That's call true. The man. He he does. He he is a, an orthopedic surgeon, <laughs> so you he is technically a full doctor. Uh, he also has a PhD in linguistics. So yeah, he's 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 legit. Uh, he's he's legit. I like Doc. Too. I think Doc is fun. I think it's a fun. Uh, it's it's like a, it's like I because I think doctor is a little bit like all honorifics is a little bit hoity-toity, but doc is like a little fun. Doc is like, Hey, yeah, it it's like, yeah. a, it's like, it's, it's taking, it's like the way that they, that like in on mash that like the people would talk to the doctors in mash. Cause it was like, <laughs> this is crazy. We're in a war. Like where it's, everything is Looney tunes. Uh, so I, I, I think doc is a good example of an honor. Uh, like a, it's like a half honorific. It's a casual honorific. And I, I'm, no, I'm I think it's favor. good. It's like saying dude or man, good. but just with, giving you something yeah letting yeah you yeah that's right day. that's yes. right respectful and yet fun yeah um i'm gonna go with uh, i almost went I, I was gonna go with my lord which i think is really funny uh because uh, th <laughs> i mean that's ridiculous to, to say that you're my lord like that you're not the lord you're my lord um that's absurd but i think the one that i that i uh that i have to choose is mr president um, Mr. President is extremely funny to me. It seems like they just blew it. Like when they were like, well, what do we, we're a new country. There's this, our, our head is called the, uh, it's called the president. What do we call, how do we refer to them? What about just Mr. President? <laughs> like <laughs> that's just a, I feel like they just like, they, they did, if they had taken 20 more seconds to try to figure out what the right way of addressing the president of the United States was, they would have come up with something better than Mr. President. Mr. President is this, it's the same naming technique that was used for Mr. Potato Head. 
It's like what is like what is this thing? It's a potato head. All right, what do we call him? We'll call him Mr. Potato Head. Like there's zero thought went into this. And now everyone has to say Mr. President, which is yeah. which when you really think about it is it's humiliating for everyone. It's humiliating for the president. It's humiliating for the people who have to address the president. And uh and I you know, there's a lot of uh, I remember on the West Wing there was like a pretty good explanation of why it matters. Um, that you don't call, you know, them by their first names. And it's basically to, to like remind the president that like they are serving an office that like they're, it's like, this isn't what I, maybe what I, Jim thinks is, is like important. It's what like the presidency, it's what the institution needs to think is right right for the country or whatever. It's like, it's a layer of, um, of like, it's a buffer between like, you are as a human being are doing this impossible job this really really difficult job and so by having this title that you're called it just sort of reminds you of that all the time that like this is about you you're in service to something bigger than yourself unfortunately what we've chosen to be that buffer is mr president and i i really think uh i really think this was a case of like let's just we got to just like we somehow they got into a situation where like we have to decide in the next 20 seconds what what we call he's right there he's walking down the hall right now george washington is walking down the hall what do we say and then someone just panicked and was like hello mr president and then that's what it, that's what happened and uh, i i it's really deeply funny to me it really it like it could have been Prez. I mean, it really could have been. They really could have just gone like with Doc, you know, like they're, they're just a little shortened version of Prez or something, you know. Prexy. Mr. President. Or like. Oh, Prexy. How about how about just like sir? How about you just say sir? Like or, or ma'am, you know, like. Did I, they feel I, it was taken? Uh, they thought that was taken, I, I, I guess. Must, maybe right? it was British. It was probably that like a lot of those things came out of the British tradition. And at the beginning, they were trying to break away from England yeah, and whatever. Right. So they wanted to avoid <laughs> all British terms, the right honorable, you know. That hit- shows you. That shows you how little was left. Is basically what <laughs> well, you know. Well, the, they're like, we call him Your Honor, Your Head, Your Your Highness, Your Majesty. Yeah, no, the no, Brits. No, the Brits had a, a two thousand year head start on honorific, so they were like, oh, all that's left is Mister President. <laughs> oh, so delightful! All right, my my fourth pick is is a personal choice. I just think the word rabbi is very funny. I just think it's the very, it's just a, it's just a delightful word, rabbi. I think all religious, uh, you know, like your beatitude and and your holiness and all these, all delightful. Rabbi is like a little bit different because like nobody knows what it means, and it's like you you say you can you can use it like just in in okay thank you rabbi for for your time like coach you can use it like that or you can actually say their full name thank you rabbi goldberg for 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 your time or whatever uh or you could just like if you're a, if you're a special rabbi you can be a grand rabbi which is which is delightful it's just i don't know there's something to me about that word that i like no other i don't know that there's another religious like title that that seems so useful as rabbi does and uh and so i just i just feel like uh i just like rabbi i i just i think that's a great title it's great plus you can i like you can also i like be a rabbi yeah I, right like i like that can, they don't um that it's not mr rabbi right like that it's just right. rabbi that's right. it's just the, the thing it's like <laughs> and that's why it should be that just president johnson or which you know it's like and when you address them you just say president <laughs> you know Right. It's like it's a right. better version right. of the thing we were just talking about. Yeah, and and plus you can also be like somebody's rabbi. Like I love that. 
like, oh man, I need a rabbi in the room. I mean, like, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to get ahead at your, at your work and, and you need a rabbi to sort of vouch for you, you know, and that person is not a real rabbi. Like they, that's, that's, that person has no religious training, but they're still a rabbi. It's like, I just think it's just a, a delightfully useful word. In the uh, NYPD, um, and I think other police departments, we learned when we were doing research for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, you, you're like uh, people who are up and coming, like, you know, young, younger sergeants, detectives, whatever, they look for a mentor and they, yeah. the term they use for their mentor is rabbi. It's like, I need, rabbi. I need to find my rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> And, it, and it's very weird because we, we wrote it into an early episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Amy Santiago, Melissa Fumero's character, is when, when Andre Brower's character shows up, she's excited because she's like, I think I found my rabbi. And so what you have there yes. is a Cuban-American woman talking about an African-American man <laughs> saying, I think I found my rabbi. But it's like, that's what they say. Like, that's the that's term. You know? Yeah, it, And it works. It totally works. Rabbi, like I say, that's, that, is, that is the most down-to-earth of all honorifics. It's just perfect. Great way to end. Great way to end the draft. Love it. (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town, brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between, like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. All right, there we go. One time for really quick, one last meaningless thing, then this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast was. And uh, and I'll start because I've got one. Last week, uh, uh, Mike, you weren't around, but I uh, we did the podcast with uh, Ellen. It was delightful, and I told Ellen that uh, I was um, in a car driving, and somebody cut me off, and uh, I I shouted out. without even thinking, I, I shouted out like, Hey buddy. Like that was like, I, like I turned into a 1950s cab driver sure. in the middle. Like, Hey pal, watch where you're going, pal. I just, I just spurted this out. So I think that this is, this is like spreading. Like I am getting really old and, and this is spreading because the other day 
I was walking out of, uh, I, I had played some tennis and I was walking out of the, the tennis courts toward my car and I had my water bottle with me and I dropped the water bottle. There was nobody around me, I thought. Nobody around me. I dropped the water bottle and I said out loud, whoops. Like I said, whoops. <laughs> out loud. And then I realized there was somebody around me. There was a woman who heard me say whoops sure. after I dropped my water bottle. And I was kind of like, you know, I just quickly picked it up and, and I was embarrassed. So I think I'm losing it. I'm com I'm literally saying things out loud now. First of all, I'm saying 1930s terms out loud now, which is bad enough. But I'm just saying them for like the things that should just stay in my brain. I am saying out loud and and I don't like it one bit. Yeah. Those progressive commercials, the how to not become your parents. I actually find them yep. genuinely funny. They are very funny. funny. Yes, I agree. They're very funny. <laughs> We're on speakerphone now. Is this the right place to be on speakerphone? <laughs> I, if you printed I your love... directions to get here, you're in the right place. <laughs> I love, I love the one where, he, where it's Eddie, where he's helping the guy uh, uh, back out his car. He's like, you don't, you don't know him. You don't know yeah. him. <laughs> when he starts throwing the pillows off the couch just one at a time and just hucking them off, the person's trying to put them back on as well. They're very funny. Yeah. You, that, but you know what? They're very funny, like legitimately, like not commercial funny. They're legitimately funny, which tells me that's going to be a series. I, I, I keep thinking that. Yeah. I'm like, I'd actually watch a series about this. It might be yeah. that quickly. <laughs> Don't but, worry. It's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Yeah, yeah it's, coming. <laughs> it's coming. All right, Mike, you got a one last meaningless thing for well, us? Well, I had a different one, but your, your picking rabbi reminded me of a true thing that happened to me, which was I was at a party when I first moved to Los Angeles and I was talking to this guy uh, who I never met, who, who was the, I think he was the brother of a friend of my wife's. And we were having a nice conversation at this uh, cocktail party. And I said, uh, uh, so uh, what do you do for a living? Are you a writer as well? And he said, no, I'm actually a rabbi. And I, without understanding why, my response was, oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he looked at me like, uh, thank you. Like, okay. And I, and I, I have no idea why that that was what came out of my mouth, but like it just absolutely very sincerely was what I said was congratulations on being a did, rabbi. Did you feel like he had just become a rabbi? Like like he had just he had just uh, he had just passed I, his rabbi I, uh, exam? I don't know. I've analyzed it a thousand <laughs> times in my mind. I've gone over it so many times. I think that the closest I've come to an explanation is that I that what I was going to say or what I was trying to say was, oh, that is an unexpected answer or, you know what I mean? Like that was the emotion was like, oh, because we were in a, in a room with mostly writers because my wife is a writer and I'm a writer sure. and her friend whose party was was a writer. And so I think what I was trying to do was express uh, <laughs> like a, a modicum of surprise or like, oh, that's interesting that you're you have a much different profession than the rest of the people here. <laughs> And somehow that in my brain in that moment got translated into <laughs> congratulations, which I mean, it's not bad to say congratulations no, to someone. No, no, no. That, like that guy. Yeah, it was it didn't it the, the awkwardness dissipated instantly because it was just like a slightly odd moment. But I have thought so many times about like, what what is that? Why? 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 Why did that happen? <laughs> I wonder what that rabbi like thought like and and I'm sure the rabbi is no longer remembers this event but maybe 
Maybe this rabbi. I think he's been like. I think he's been studying the Talmud and like and like just pouring over scripture (laughs) to try to figure to try to untangle this thorny question of why this weirdo said congratulations. He's in the middle of writing, you know, his 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 sermon for for uh, you know this Rosh Hashanah sermon, and he's like, "Why did that guy?" Like was he being sarcastic yeah. that he was saying? I think he's. He being I think he's genuine. He's was gone he saying, to thank you for helping the world. He's had to go to other rabbis to seek their counsel to untangle this <laughs> thing. Like they and they're all like it's been a twenty year odyssey for them to try to figure out why I was so weird. In they that generally moment. wonder if everything's anti semitic. Was like, was he an anti semite? Was he? <laughs> thing? I don't know if he. Like that, that that was just such a weird congratulations. I love it. I love it. That was meaningless. Brandon, you got something meaningless for us? Uh, yeah, you know, when you're growing up, you always hear that history is cyclical. It keeps coming back, and you're like, yeah, whatever. And I, and you you realize it. And then as you get older, you realize it is. And I realize it's now 2021. The two most occurring thoughts are the two things banging on my brain the most are insurrection and sea shanties. And the fact <laughs> that these two things are existing at the same time in my head makes me feel like I'm wandering around somewhere in the 16 or 1700s and it's it's destroying me and the goddamn song is ruining my life and I want it out of my head immediately. <laughs> now you're talking about that the Wellerman song that's yes. taken over Twitter, right? Yes. Uh, it's every it's every I can't get it out of my head. I keep it's driving me nuts. Yeah, if anyone's unfamiliar with this, is somehow Sea Shanty Twitter has taken over, <laughs> and there's there's this song called "When the Weather Weller Wellerman, not Weatherman, but Wellerman. Wellerman. Yeah, yeah and right. and there's this version that's a very it's a real earworm. Don't if you haven't looked at it already, do not, do because not stop. it stop yourself, and because it will never. It's in my head right now as I'm talking. It's in Brandon's head <laughs> as he's talking. It's in Joe's head. Don't yes. listen to it. Just stay away from it, uh, and you will your life will be better off. Yeah. I can't. Uh, that's that's a good one. That's a good one, Brandon. All right, guys. I think we've set the record for the longest podcast ever. Have we? Uh, well, we're pretty close. You know, it's 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 long. Well, the thing is, though, that's here's good. the thing, though. Like, I mean, what do you cut? Like, it's all so good. <laughs> gold. All gold. Yeah. Like, Everything uh, in here do, is gold. do me a favor and show me the thing you would cut out of this two and a half hour long podcast. I mean, I dare you. That's that's exactly what we that's you know that's exactly what we're thinking. We're like we're looking at the cutting room floor and going nothing. Yeah. Well, we're not cutting any of this. Yeah. Well, how could we cut any of that's this? That's like when I watched the Irish no. when I watched the Irishman for when I finally watched <laughs> the Irishman I was like I mean it like the answer to what you would cut is like most of it, I think. You would cut most of it. Like, like you would keep that one scene between like when, when, uh, when Pacino is, uh, is, is yelling at De Niro, right? Like you would keep that one. I scene. think you would cut all of the stuff that involved Robert De Niro pretending to be like a 25 year old. <laughs> I think that's mainly what I would cut. That, uh, the, thing that I didn't, the thing I didn't get about that was like, you read everything leading into it about the incredible technology that went into making Robert De Niro 25 years old or whatever it was supposed to be. And then you watch it and you're like, this looks terrible. This like, this really looks like the old tops baseball cards where they would paint a different, you know, color hat on your head. Well, then also like they can, they can like smooth out his skin all they want. But when he goes, there's a scene where he, there was a scene where he's trying to throw a, a, uh, a gun into the water when he's like right. supposed to be like 30 and he walks to the edge of the water and he can't lift his arm up over, over like parallel to the ground. <laughs> so he underhands the gun. He under, he like, he, he Kent to Colby's it essentially into the water 
and right. and it's like and and it's very clear that he's doing it because his shoulders because he's had like eleven shoulder surgeries and he can't he can't throw he can't throw a gun overhand and it's like you can make his face look whatever you want it to look but like you can't fake that you can and and, and when he's beating up that guy outside the grocery store that he's like yeah, kicking the guy he's yeah. it's just like you're you're genuinely concerned for him like the guy's on the ground. <laughs> But and he's kicking the guy, and all you can think is like he's gonna break his kneecap. He can't. He can't well, ask an old man to do this. No, it really felt like you were watching. Like, wow, what is that young old man doing over there? I mean, that's basically like, what is that young grandpa doing? Um, God, I wanted to like. I it. did too, man. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why we're talking about the Irishman like three years after it came out, but uh, <laughs> but I, it's just like it was so sad. I, I was really, it, was. it made me feel bad about the world. Because it was like, just hi, just get yeah. There's a lot of young actors. Like, have young actors play young De Niro. Like, young, yeah, that was the other it. thing. We, young De Niro played young Brando in The Godfather too. Like, there's a precedent for right. this. Like, just do the same thing now. Have someone play young De Niro and, and introduce the next great era of Italian American actors into the world. You do wonder. I mean, look, I I I think there's no question about the genius, uh, you know, uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, Martin Scorsese. But I don't. I don't think he meets many young people. I, I think I think he's been having that same dinner party for like 40 years. And like there's only these people are invited. And like every so often somebody will bring a young like actor with them to, to meet. And De Niro's like, no, nah, no. Nah. I mean, he's like, no, thank you. Not interested yeah. in that. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's Brandon, have you seen The, the Irishman? I haven't, but it fits in this weird. And you guys later on in life when you guys are retired and don't have infinite things to do, you'll find this weird thing that happens where you have a lot of time available and you're like, oh, what's this movie? Three hours? Sure, I have all the time in the world until I die. But you're like, I don't know. I don't think I have enough time for this. <laughs> and so I haven't seen The Irishman. I haven't seen a lot of these things that I should have seen or done because it's like, oh, I, I can't fit that into my schedule of, of doing nothing. I don't know what that is exactly, but it's some flaw in the human brain. I have all the time that in the world. All the time in the world until I die, and we're in the middle of a global pandemic. That means we essentially can't leave our houses. But I don't know. That's long. That's long. <laughs> that's long. Well, that's long. I could definitely be doing nothing instead of that. Oh, it's beautiful. All right, guys. Well, Brandon, for, thank you for for spending two hours with us. What is this? Is insane. But you, you know what? You didn't have, he doesn't have anything else to do until I die. <laughs> I just didn't watch the the Irishman today. That's that it. <laughs> that's it. By the way, the one thing I could say about the podcast is it was a better spent time because you wouldn't even be you'd be like barely two thirds through the Irishman. You wouldn't even be close to the end. That's right. That's how we should bill it. We should say that's how the the official slogan of the podcast should be: only two thirds as long as the Irishman and with with like fewer bad special effects. That's that's really all we can offer you. That's that's all we got, Michael. As always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The presenting sponsor of today's show is Tops.com and Tops Project 70. Tops is celebrating the 70th anniversary of its very first baseball card design with a new program that pushes boundaries while also paying homage to their heritage. Founded in 1938 as a chewing gum company, Tops released their first baseball card set in 1951. Now, seven decades later, Tops has teamed up with 51 artists and creatives from around the globe to revisit and reimagine 70 years of Tops' most iconic baseball card designs through a year-long program called Project 70. Each artist will select their own MLB players and Tops designs from any year to craft a unique story. Ever wanted to know what Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle would look like in a 1980s Tops design? Or how about Fernando Tatis Jr. in the 1950s? Now you can. 
Three new cards launch daily all year long on Tops.com and are only available for 70 hours before they're gone for good. While you're there on the lookout for special cards, each card drop includes rainbow foil editions, numbered one to 70, randomly inserted into each card's print run, as well as one of one gold frame edition given to a lucky purchaser. Exclusive artist proof editions, numbered to 51, featuring a silver frame are also available for purchase for every single card. But hurry, as those sell out shortly after each card is launched. So look, head to tops.com to learn more about Project 70 and to check out which cards are live right now.